0: Erica, take us back to you're moving to Los Angeles, and I believe you booked your first TV show just two weeks after moving to LA. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. Um, so I get obsessive about my goals and my dreams. <laughs> obsessive. I think it's a good thing, although it can border on unhealthy. And I knew that I wanted to work in television. I wanted to work in Hollywood. Um, And so before I moved to LA, about six months prior, I started researching people to connect with. And I really, like, I think I emailed about 150 people, cold email. I would watch the credits after a movie. I would look on IMDb you know for tv shows that I enjoyed and look up people who were doing what I wanted to do which at the time was graphic design and I would cold email and message people and so that is really what helped me book my first tv show so quickly because one of the contacts and now granted out of 150 maybe three people you know wrote me back or were helpful so it wasn't a lot of people but one of those contacts ended up being very helpful. Actually, maybe two, um, but one person really connected with me and it helped that he was a little younger. He was closer to my age. And so we sort of connected as friends and that really helped. And I always tell people, you know, when you're trying to make connections in this industry, work on making friends. You know, Really try to think about it as you're connecting with people that you can genuinely connect with because those are the people that are gonna be so much more open to helping you. So that's what happened. So I I connected with this one guy and he was very nice. And I came out to LA two weeks, two weeks, a month, maybe before I was gonna move to look for apartments. And I ended up showing him my portfolio so that he could kind of, you know, get an idea of my work. And then when I moved to LA, the very first week, he gave me a test, (laughs) like a test project to see how I do under pressure. And, you know, if I can do this, you know, designing graphics, For television not that it really requires super different skills than designing graphics for anything else but the pace is different and you know they're going to be looking for something specific so um, he gave me a test he actually did pay me for it which was really sweet so it was on a show that he was working on and he gave me one of the graphics and said here make this logo Um, and I guess I passed the test because the next show that he was offered he couldn't take and so he recommended me and then I got to interview for that show and, and then I booked it.
0: When you went back after looking for the apartment and you, I'm assuming you flew back,
1: mm-hmm. was
0: there any doubt that maybe you wouldn't come out or you were ready to go? No.
1: It's so interesting to look back at that time because I look back and I think like, why weren't you more scared? Or why, why didn't you have more doubt? I, I was so obsessed. I had done, in high school, I had done a summer at UCLA and I did their intensive theater program. And so I had already spent some time living in Los Angeles and I was enamored with it. I just thought LA was glamorous and you know everything that the movies make LA out to be. I joke about it because at UCLA, we weren't really allowed outside of the UCLA radius on our own. <laughs> so I was like, LA is so beautiful. It's like, well, Westwood, yes, Erica. <laughs> did you see Hollywood or downtown? Um, But, um, yeah, I just, I was so, my heart was pulled to this city. It, you know, I just knew that I needed to be here. So no. And, and actually when I was supposed to move to LA the week before I developed a disease in my eye and I still have it to this day. And my parents were like, maybe you should push off your move like a month or so. Let's get this figured out. And I said, no. I need to be out there now i started building these contacts they know that i'm coming in a month no i will get an eye doctor out in la Um, and that's that's what i did so i was determined
0: (laughs) and not only that but it was 2008 yes so the economy was unraveling yes things were turbulent
1: yes i didn't really feel the effects of that until 2009 because i moved towards the end of 2008 and booked that first show so quickly and then the first show um we did a season and then it was canceled and so after that show was canceled and then I was unemployed it was almost like because I booked that show so quickly I didn't have time to be super confused and alone in LA yet um because I had worked so quickly and then um after that show was canceled and the economy was crashing and it, it was incredibly difficult it was the worst year of my life I mean I really struggled,
0: right, and I know I think you've talked about that in your book and and we're hoping to maybe cover that. I just want to go back to one quick thing, and I think yeah. that is 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 that something you expected to to book a show so fast, or because you had the one contact who seemed dependable you you felt that was. Something that was definitely going to happen. I mean, is that normal to get something (laughs) more? No, I I
1: I mean, I don't think I had any expectations in terms of time. I will say, you know, that's something because I was so uh passionate about my dreams of working in television, I never considered a time frame. I never said I need to make this happen in six months or I need to make this happen in five years. You know, a lot of people uh give themselves a deadline, and in my mind I never did. So I never had any timeline expectations Um, I was just so excited to be in LA I mean I was also terrified once I got here and I didn't really know people here so I was very alone I mean it was it was a pretty challenging time and I was absolutely terrified in the beginning but I was I I just knew that I was excited I knew I wanted to be here so I I didn't really have any expectations of when or how it was going to happen
0: What if it's been 5 or 10 years and someone's not any closer to their quote-unquote dream and they come here from somewhere else? I
1: think that question has nuance because I've worked with a lot of people who have been here for 5 or 10 years who feel nowhere near their dreams and who are really struggling. But if we're really honest, it's not like absolutely nothing has happened in 5 or 10 years. So maybe they're not where they want to be yet. They haven't booked that big TV show yet, if they're an actor, or you know, they haven't booked that big project, whatever their craft is. Um, but it's very I don't think I've ever met any artist out here who literally has not done a single thing in their career in five or ten years, unless they got a day job that became their sole, you know, priority, and then they just worked on. Let me get a promotion at my day job. Let me try to move up here. And and that becomes the priority. So the only time I've ever seen like literally nothing happen is when the day job becomes the priority over the dream. And they kind of let the dream go for all those years. But of my clients that I've worked with, um, I think it's important to celebrate what you have achieved and to take like, even if you're not where you want to be, and it's been years, take a look at what you've actually done even if it feels small to you because i think that um, if you can start shifting your focus onto what you have done instead of what you haven't it'll help you feel more confident it'll help you feel you know just better energy you'll feel proud of yourself you'll feel better and so i think that will lead to more things happening um now that being said you know when i work with people there's so many things that we can take a look at it. Like, you know, why are you not where you want to be yet? And so we can take a look at what are the strategies that you either haven't tried at all or that you have been procrastinating? You know, that's a big thing. Um, or that there's so many pieces. Sorry, I feel like this is gonna be a long answer, but there's so many pieces to it. It's like with the strategy piece, it's like, are there things that you haven't tried? And then if there are let's take a look at why right and that all comes down to your belief system the fears that you have the doubts that you have whether or not you believe in yourself um, and and that can get very nuanced as well you know we get deep into what is really truly holding you back from doing some of these strategic moves that you really haven't done yet and then another thing that i've noticed with some of my clients is that the longer you have been in the industry And I always say Hollywood, but I don't say Hollywood as in the location. I call like the industry Hollywood. So the longer you've been in Hollywood, if you've been in Hollywood for five or 10 years, you end up having more limiting beliefs than somebody who is brand new. Because someone who is brand new, they're so green and they're so naive that they take more risks because they're not afraid of doing the wrong thing because they don't know what the wrong thing is. Whereas someone who's been here for a long time and has been in the industry for a long time, you know more about how the industry works and you might know more about like behind the scenes and what relationships are important and what you need to be doing. And then because of that, you, you lose your sense of risk taking and being bold and putting yourself out there, you know. Um, in a, a, I hate to say in a risky way, but it's all about risk taking, you know, it's all about putting yourself out there and taking risks. And so the longer you've been in Hollywood, the more rules you are trying to live by. But the thing is, is that for every rule in Hollywood, there's always an exception. So you don't necessarily wanna use these rules to hold you back. And when I say rules, just for an example, in the industry, You know, some of my actor clients, when they are wanting to, if they need to get a new agent or a new manager, one of the rules in Hollywood is you should never contact representation and reach out to them during pilot season, right? There's like certain times of the year that's busier, maybe the beginning of episodic or, you know, when pilot season is going on and you're not supposed to reach out right? And so it's just because you know how the industry works. You've been in the industry a long time. You know that there's a pilot season. You know that people are really busy during pilot season. But there's always going to be an exception to that rule. That rule is not really set in stone. And so if you follow that rule because you think you're, you know, you have this knowledge about how the industry works and you want to be good and follow these rules that you think you know, in that process you are stopping yourself from taking a risk and i've had many clients book agents during pilot season and then are able to go out for pilot season so that's just a little example you know of i think some of the things that hold people back in hollywood the more they know the more it tends to hold them back and then also with that there's a third part of this that i've really noticed with some of my clients is that the more you know the more boxes you try to fit into and I feel like that's just a big thing in Hollywood that a lot of people struggle no matter if you're a writer a director um you know working behind the scenes somehow an actor you know even my production designer boss a couple years ago fell into that of like how can I you know oh I do drama and they don't think I can do comedy how? and so I have found that a lot of people get stuck in these boxes because they're trusting other people to tell them what box they fit into. You know, like with actors, it all all starts in the beginning with headshots. I've seen this so many times where an actor is told to put put their headshot on Facebook and ask everyone on Facebook, "What, what roles can you see me as with this headshot? You know, what shows do you see me in according to this headshot? And that's a super common thing, right? And if they're not asking their Facebook friends, they're asking their agents, their managers, their, you know, their teachers. But every time you do that, you are asking somebody else to tell you how to live your dream. And you're letting somebody else dictate what roles you go out for, what projects you get to be a part of, and you completely lose your voice. And so I think that when people struggle in the five to 10 year range, I think that that sometimes, depending on the person, you know, plays a part where all these years, maybe they've been trying to pursue the industry in these boxes that they were told they should be in, but it never feels good and it never feels aligned. And so they struggle. You know, I have one of my clients really struggle with that. And, you know, she's done such beautiful work as we work together for the past two years and she's really come into her own, like, like you know, she's really connected with who she really is now and who she wants to be and not who Hollywood has been telling her to be all these years. And then that leads to more exciting opportunities because you're more confident and standing on in your own um, more often. And, you know, that will bleed into the work that you do, even though it sounds counterintuitive, like, oh, Erica, but Hollywood loves the boxes. Stepping out of that is somehow going to help you succeed. I think, yes, I think it's about alignment and and being yourself a hundred percent I think that will always lead to more success
0: I I love what you're saying what if what if we can't accurately see ourselves because like I knew someone who was was auditioning and she was doing well and she was about to turn 30 which when you look back at it from an older age is not old at all (laughs) but a friend or so she thought said oh let me see your headshots and so she showed this friend and the friend said oh and he gave her this feedback he said look you're getting near 30 so you're going to want to aim for mom Mm rules so maybe tone down the sexy factor a little bit Mm -hmm. and that was sort of eye-opening to this person because they still saw themselves as this not sex kitten but they just saw themselves as not as the mom Mm -hmm. and so I'm just wondering how much is it that we're blinded by ourselves because we can't really see ourselves accurately sometimes or was she allowing this person to really tell her how to be
1: yeah I think I mean it's a great question and and I'm sure that you know every agent or casting director or whatever will disagree with me but I think that the more we buy into the boxes the more we are helping perpetuate the problem and so I think that you know with the rise of streamers like Netflix and, and Hulu and Amazon we are getting to see more complex stories which is amazing because with the networks of ABC NBC you know those are likely following formulas that have worked before and they're a little more stereotype when it comes to characters and content and you know and story but because there's so much more content now available with the streaming, I really do feel that we are finally moving into an area of Hollywood where we are getting more complex storytelling. And so to me, like the mom, right? You you turn 30 and then you need to play the mom. It's like, could you be a super complex character that happens to have a child, right? And so I think that we need to stop letting Hollywood define us as the mom even if that feels hard, you know, even if you feel like you're getting the advice from someone trusted who's been in the industry, I think it is partly on us to stop perpetuating those kinds of things that happen. You know, like the client that I was talking about, she she just came out as non-binary. And that can be really scary as an actor, you know, because she's having to explore with her representation what that means in terms of what roles she wants to go out for. But to her, for her to even have that conversation with her representation, she is breaking through the, the boxes and the Hollywood stuff, you know, of stereotypes. And she is challenging it because she is saying, this is who I am. This is who I know that I am. And so let's explore what kind of complex roles I can play. So I guess to answer your question about, you know, finding ourselves, if we feel like maybe we've lost ourselves, I think you have to begin by tuning out everything, tuning out the noise. Don't listen to me, don't listen to other people. You have to get back to yourself and what your dream truly is. You know, in the very first chapter of my book, I invite people to write down everything they would love to happen in their career, everything that you dream of. You know, get back to that dream you had in your heart when you were a kid or whenever it was that you decided you wanted to pursue this dream. Get back to that and connect to that. And really, you know, some of my clients too, they'll they'll study, they'll, they'll do some research and watch, you know, some shows that they really love and start to explore what excites them. You know, when you watch this, do you feel really excited because you'd love to play a complex role like this person? Um, so I think that process involves, you know, you... Um, reconnecting with your own intuition and tuning out the noise and, and get really true to who you are and decide that you are worthy and are capable of succeeding as who you are, even if others tell you, no, you need to play the mom or no, you need to fit in this
0: box. Erica, what's the biggest obstacle you've had to overcome in your own life?
1: That's a good one my biggest obstacle for sure that I have had to overcome that I'm still working on is my self-worth and you know my struggle with self-worth um I've done a lot of work to try to work you know to try to heal that and and work on that and I think that being an artist in Hollywood requires you to put yourself out there in a way that most people won't really have to do in their lifetime if they weren't pursuing a a big dream you know if they weren't trying to do something um, challenging it requires a lot of you and you know through you know through rejection and and also through depending on what your job is in the industry what your craft is it can feel so personal, you know, like what you are putting out, your work that you are putting out, it, it's like you, right? It's attached to you. So I think that, you know, I tend, to, I tend to attract a lot of clients who are like myself. And I think a lot of artists in general struggle with self-worth more so because it's on display so much more often than maybe other people who aren't working in an industry like Hollywood would have to, you know, face essentially. Um, which I guess it's a good thing. It's a good thing that we need to, that I, I should say I, that I need to work on this and that I need to um, get better. But it, it's really been my biggest obstacle because I think that it impacts everything I do. It impacts how I put myself out there, how I ask for things that I want. If I, you know, come across as someone who believes they're worthy of what they want, or, you know, I talk to my clients a lot about how a lot of artists come across as desperate in the, please choose me, please choose me. Am I good enough? Tell me I'm good enough. And I think a lot of us you know, struggle with that. So I've, I myself have struggled with that as well. Um, and I think especially shifting into my coaching business where I have to build a business on me, <laughs> where I'm the brand. And um, it's it's been a whole extra layer of me working through some self-worth stuff I guess you could say but that's definitely been my biggest obstacle
0: I'm wondering if struggles with self-worth actually propel someone to go pretty far because when I've done like little bits of research on a lot of people whether it's acting music whatever I find a lot of them have a missing parent mm, and I think that that causes people to do interesting things and so I'm wondering if that almost propels people to to go further where someone who doesn't it's more safe and so mm-hmm. oh okay I didn't get this well that's all right but somebody who really is like obsessed with it it actually that that self-worth sort of wound actually makes them rise up more I hope I'm, I'm making sense here no you're yeah. making
1: perfect I mean Tony Robbins talks a lot about the idea of if you grew up without a lot of trauma or obstacles or issues you're almost in a worse spot trying to achieve big goals um he's you know because because of exactly what you're talking about this like safe comfortable kind of bubble and and a lot of people you know look at people like oprah who had an incredibly challenging childhood right so a lot of the times that people who grew up with a lot of obstacles or potentially a lot of trauma it does Propel them. You know, it it does um, ignite a fire, perhaps, or or helps them succeed. I think with self worth, particularly, it could totally go in that direction. But I find, at least with the clients that I work with, is that more often than not, it actually does hold people back from taking bigger risks or putting themselves out there in a bigger way. And so they do it kind of in a safe way. Of yeah, you know, and I myself struggle with this and I know that I can catch myself when I do this you know sometimes I'll you know make a post for my business or something and I'll I'll do it to an audience that I know already loves and accepts me and so you know I think that if you if you doubt yourself and you don't feel worthy of what you want it usually ends up holding you back so like if people procrastinate procrastination is really has nothing to do with laziness and and everything to do with resistance and a lot of times when people procrastinate it's really truly because they don't feel worthy of the thing that they're trying to make happen um so I do feel like you know I, I think it can definitely go in the direction that you're talking about and I think other obstacles and trauma absolutely does propel somebody forward but a lot of times with self-worth it it, it holds us back from you know going after the big things that we want
0: Right. yeah I'm thinking of like Marilyn Monroe Mm -hmm. and and the lack of self-worth probably took her very far but it also could have taken her down unfortunately yeah I
1: mean I guess too you know if you don't have a strong sense of self or a strong self-worth you're going to let a lot of people tell you how to live your life you know tell you you know back to these like Hollywood boxes like like for example if you don't have a strong self-worth maybe you do end up booking projects booking shows booking um, features but none of them feel aligned like you don't actually feel happy you feel miserable right because you let somebody else tell you what you should feel or what you should go after because you didn't feel that you were worthy of the things that you really want
0: so Tony well, I, I guess I maybe I have heard that from him before but so, so you've heard him say that it's actually not an impediment to have had if it, having had like sort of the safe upbringing, but, or maybe it is, I don't know.
1: Yeah. I don't want (laughs) to, I don't want to butcher his words and and say it incorrectly. Um, I'm just, I'm just recalling, you know, my memory of what he said, but that was, that was like, I have remembered that because I, you know, it's interesting. Like I am someone who is incredibly determined and ambitious. Um, but I, I did have somewhat of a comfortable life. And sometimes I wonder if, that propelled me actually this is like a totally different topic but if that propelled me in a way where like I feel less scared to go after certain things or to take some risks because I feel like I I still have a safety net of my family like I have a good family life you know so I feel like I still have this safety net so maybe it's less scary for me than other people but I don't know from what I remember of what he said um I'm pretty sure he did say that you know people that that struggled more in their childhood or in their lives um, kind of have that one up on I don't know maybe being ambitious or pursuing your goals.
0: What's the biggest challenge you've helped one of your clients through?
1: One of the biggest challenges that I have helped my clients with, and this probably doesn't sound very sexy, but I feel like I I feel very fortunate to connect with people who are struggling in their careers and are really down about it. Um, and the fortunate part comes with how I get to help them. Not that I'm so glad that people are struggling that maybe it came out wrong, but um, I've, I've been very fortunate to connect with these people who feel really down about their careers because maybe it has been some time and they're not where they wanna be yet. And so sometimes people come to me where they're depressed and they're really feeling down. And by the end of the time we're working together, they they feel happy again. They feel excited again in their career. You know, um, they feel hopeful and that energy switch is so crucial to what comes next in terms of their strategic moves and what opportunities come their way. Like it really does help them bring in a new level up opportunity. And so I think, you know, like I've had clients who are on the verge of quitting and I'm like one of their last resorts. you know? And so I think for me, that's, one of the most challenging things that I've helped clients with but I think that is so rewarding because it's so it's so awesome to see people who've started feeling really down and really depressed about their career who now like one of my new clients I mean we're only like a month in and she's already feeling so excited and hopeful and that is just so awesome I mean you know I just feel so fortunate to be able to help people like I feel like One of my superpowers is helping people believe in themselves and and really seeing what's possible and so I feel honored to kind of relight that spark for people and help them get back to what's possible and and get back to their dream
0: well it's like dating you know like when you're in a relationship all of a sudden now all these people are attracted to you when you weren't (laughs) yeah no one would call no nothing happened but then all of a sudden you give off this energy of like I don't really need it that mm-hmm. much or whatever and I think that, that yeah, the desperation just, goes yeah by. something happens and mm-hmm. what whether it's dating or business or whatever but I don't know if the same for some of what you've talked about
1: I mean a little bit you know it's it's a to, for me it's about the energy and so and it's about getting in alignment with the energy of the thing that you desire so if you're feeling really down and really low which is normal and happens all the time you're not likely to attract you know, exciting new opportunities, right? It's like if, the, if you're feeling like really low and you're right here um, and these opportunities that you want are up here, you're not in alignment with them. And, and so when you start to feel good again and inspired and excited, it brings you up here and now suddenly you are in alignment with these new opportunities. And I think from like a slightly more tangible way to explain this is that when you are feeling really down and really low, you are problem-oriented, right? And so, and I, I know that I've been this way. When I went through my really challenging year, 2009, and I was really depressed, my mom would suggest solutions to me, and she would think of ideas to help me, and I would say no to everything. I would shoot down everything. I was just not in the energy of accepting help or accepting a solution because I was feeling so low. And so when you're feeling hopeful and excited again suddenly it's like oh there's opportunity everywhere i see solutions everywhere so your you know the your belief system and, and your energy it's it's all controlling the opera like opportunities might have existed around you the whole time but you just didn't see them you know i always talk about the example of the
0: fedex logo
1: do you know the fedex logo
0: um so i mean i would know the colors it's like the purple, purple and the orange yeah. and do you know
1: that there's like the hidden arrow in between the E and the X of FedEx in the white space? Maybe I don't know. So I say this because a lot of people tend to know about the arrow. And, if, and so if you don't know about the arrow, go look at the FedEx logo. And so it's in the negative space, the white space between the E and the X. Okay. Um, and that was intentionally do- done because FedEx is about you know movement. And so there's also a little hidden baking spoon in the lowercase e that most people don't know. <laughs> really? Okay. And the idea is that even if you didn't know about that arrow and that baking spoon, they were always there. You might have looked at that logo a hundred times and you didn't see that because you didn't know it was there. You didn't know to look. But it doesn't mean that they didn't exist. They were always there. So it's like when you are feeling hopeful and excited and you're feeling good, you know to look for opportunities that are always around you. But if you're feeling depressed and low, you're probably not even going to see them, even though they might be right in front of you.
0: What do you do for people that they can't necessarily do for themselves?
1: Two things, I think. One is, like I talked about, I think that I help people believe in themselves and believe in what's possible in a way they never have before. I feel very proud, I feel like it is my superpower, you know, to really help people Expand their view of what is truly possible. And the other thing that I do that people might not be able to do for themselves is to see their blind spots, right? So I can usually have a conversation with them and fairly quickly determine where their blind spots are in terms of like what's holding them back. You know, if they talk to me about their strategy, you know, I can pick out what's really holding them back in that strategy what the limiting belief is you know just the other day I was on a podcast interview and I was coaching the the one of the hosts and he talked about how him and his producing partner they they live um, somewhere else in the United States and they're working on moving to Las Vegas and and they had this whole plan about why that was a good decision and I said tell me why you're moving to Las Vegas instead of LA tell me why you're not moving to LA Right, and so they told me all these reasons that were really fear-based. They didn't believe that they could afford to live here. They didn't believe they'd find any work. They didn't, you know, they they had all these stories that they decided on, um, that created their decision. And then that decision leads to dream adjacent, right? And so I think that um, we can't always see our blind spots. That's why I work with coaches too. You know, I have people help me with my blind spots, and so we can't. We can't see them on our own, you know, because our mind is really good at justifying our decisions. Our mind is really good at coming up with reasons or excuses about why what we're doing is the right thing to do or the best thing for us. But a lot of times, you know, we're holding ourselves back. And so I help people with that and and really helping them recognize where their blind spots may be.
0: How do you define success?
1: My definition of success has changed over the last two years and I would not be surprised if it changed again in the next coming years. I think that for the last 10 years, I really defined success by the projects I was booking and the money I was making. And once I got those things that I desired, then I realized, wait a minute. I really just want to be happy (laughs) not that some of those things didn't make me happy but now I'm really chasing for lack of a better word what makes me happy and and that's to me more important I think that I'm still weaving into my you know one of my coaches was like oh so you say that's what or maybe my therapist said this "You, you say that success is just about what makes you happy but you're still kind of living in this world where you want to make a certain amount of money and you want to book certain projects and and so I think that I have one foot in in that world and one foot in this world but for me it, it it's so much more about being happy and helping people and so I'm I'm trying to refocus my energy on that because I think it's really easy to get caught up especially in the social media world where we're comparing ourselves to other people all the time and what their lives look like and where they're spending their money and what projects you know I think um, you know a lot of my actor clients we talk about how their least favorite question ever is have I seen you in anything or are you working on anything now people feel very insecure about that question and so I just you know I myself have gotten very caught up in what projects I'm working on so that I can tell other people and then I will be perceived as successful and being perceived as successful is more important than how I actually feel doing these things and so um, so now I'm just trying to let go of that and focus on what makes me happy like I I think that you know it's like if we look back at our lives I don't know I would rather be happy and and doing things that feel good and excite me than constantly worrying about trying to compare myself to others and what it looks like to other people
0: what do you think about the fact that that's a great place to be in but some people might need to have kissed the ring so to speak and then realize you know what it wasn't that great and I actually just want to be happy but they needed that experience to know I actually was up here for a little bit and I decided I wasn't happy but I needed to know what that felt like
1: yeah I think that we all are on our own journey (laughs) we all are on our own path you know if I had to experience that to learn this lesson it's not even necessarily a lesson it's just a redirect for myself Um, and so I don't think there's anything wrong with, like some people just have to live out their journey and live out their own experiences then to decide what they want. You know, I think that's what we're always collecting data based on how we feel. So everything that we do, we're collecting data and then we're reevaluating. So I think that's totally okay. But what I do sort of direct people in my book is to, and again, this is something that I feel like that I've been working on, is to stop setting goals that are based on validation. Right, so try to at least start chasing the joy because I think that the all those things that you think you want, they're going to come anyway, right? You can be happy and get all those things, but we don't necessarily always know why we want those things. And so I think it is important to take a look at like, well, why do I want that? You know, like I remember... I have a dream of buying a house. It used to be in the hills, but now I want one in the Palisades or, you know, with ocean view as opposed to city view. And I remember someone said to me, oh, do you want that because of how it'll look? And I said, oh my gosh, no, <laughs> That that's not part of this dream for me at all. I want it because I have family back on the East coast and I want rooms for them to come visit for extended periods of time so that I can be, you know, I'm very close with my family and I hate that they're so far away and I don't get to see them very often. Um, And I'm also very sensitive to my surroundings that I want surroundings that inspire me and excite me. And so it's really what it's about. And so I think, yeah, I think if you're feeling like, well, I want the money or I want the accolades, it's just about getting really honest with yourself about why you want those things. Everything that we say we want is because of how we think we're going to feel when we get it. So if you, you know, if you want an Oscar, why, why do you, what do you think you're going to feel when you get that Oscar? And, and I think that if you can break down those feelings, it's more important to sort of chase those feelings or to try to feel those now than necessarily the, the label that you think is going to give you those feelings. Um, if that makes sense. So I think, you know, like I said, in my book, it's really about like set any goal that you want. There's nothing wrong with any of them. Um, but if you're chasing them for validation to make you feel good to make you feel more worthy or more deserved 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 (laughs) Um, it it probably isn't going to feel the way that you think it's going to feel it's not going to solve the inner problem right like none of the external things that we create for ourselves or that we get aren't going to are never going to solve an internal problem
0: I think most of this is is validation from others or self-validation validation
1: Validation from others
0: you think that matters more to most people
1: I think a lot I think a lot of us make decisions based on how others will perceive it how like for example everyone and their mother in this industry says that they want to work on Netflix you know on a Netflix project and you know there might be some like uh, there might be some reasons behind that in the terms of well they do great work you know they they tell complex stories and i'm interested in the stories that they're telling but a lot of people especially the actors that i work with or the directors the writers they say they want netflix because netflix is a huge well-known entity right now and if they book something netflix they can then post it on social media or they can tell people hey i booked a netflix show and that makes them feel successful because they're perceived as successful because it's a network or a streamer that everybody knows, right? But what if what was really important to you that you booked a project that told a meaningful story that impacted people's lives and that was really fun to create and it felt really great. Like you were working with great people, collaborating with great people and the whole experience just felt good. Well, what if you could get that experience at ABC or on hulu or you know or or another smaller now you know because i talk about one of my best experiences in hollywood was a show that was on abc family which is now freeform you know and i don't think many people are like i want to work on freeform like everyone's like i want to work on netflix you know it's not maybe as sexy maybe they don't have quite as many viewers but it was the most fun i ever had on a show and we were telling a meaningful story and there were really amazing crew and cast members it, it was just a really good experience so yeah I think that it's this it's a long way to say I, I think it is about chasing validation from others and how we are perceived by others
0: and does that go back to sort of that boxes thing that you said like being in LA you you think that there's these certain rules in these boxes and it's the same thing about like oh oh you're just doing the um, the score network I've never heard of it yeah oh okay yeah no, no. but if you were somewhere else oh wow you're on a tv show how cool right you know, but here there's these levels right and the
1: hierarchy yeah yeah I, I don't know if it's necessarily I guess the box is in a way where you're like boxing yourself into what your dream has to look like like my dream has to look like me working for Netflix um so I guess in a way but I do think yeah that people don't realize that it's probably going to be a more enjoyable experience if you intentionally try to create a good experience for yourself you know like a show that you love working on that you're doing meaningful work then whatever the label of the network or the studio is you know because you know look like I've I've known series regulars who have quit and who just like after a few seasons weren't feeling fulfilled anymore it wasn't like a story they felt like was meaningful in their lives you know and so that happens you know like you might get the thing that you think you want like you might get Netflix and then it not be a good experience I'm not trying to put that out there I'm sure (laughs) like there's a lot of amazing experiences on Netflix but my point is Like get clear about how you want the experience to feel and what you want the experience to look like. Like I say in my book, like write, make a list of everything that you want in the next project you want to book or whatever goal you're working towards. Write the list of everything that, everything you think Netflix is going to give you, right? Write down everything you think it's going to give you and then take away Netflix at the top. And then, but still, but still chase your list, right? So you're still really going after what you truly want. But you're allowing it to look however it looks
0: how do you help people with the part of success where they want what other people have
1: I mean that is happening all the time and I I have found myself um, getting caught up in that too you know I think that When people post things on social media, I think that's like really a lot of where it comes from as opposed to seeing it in actual real life. I think that when we see somebody's highlight reel on social media, we are putting a whole story behind that post about what it means and how it must feel for them to have what that thing, right? So if somebody posts a picture of themselves uh, driving a Porsche, you know, a fancy, very fancy car and they're smiling in it and they're like, yeah, you know, they look cool. You might then create this whole story about what that means for that person and how their life must be so amazing and it must feel so good for them and wow, they have so much money. And we, we create this whole narrative about what it means when we see the, them having this thing. And we're like, well, we want those feelings. I, I wanna feel, financially stable i want to feel wealthy i want to um feel excited about a new purchase i want to have a car like that right so we we think that they're feeling a certain way when they have something and then we want to feel that way and so we think the way we feel it is to try to get the same thing they have and it's so easy to get caught up in whatever we think you know people are or whatever we're seeing people have, you know, e- even if it's a a booking, you know, if you book a job or you you have an audition or something, you know, I think that if you see someone post online that, um, I'm trying to think of something that maybe I've thought I wanted but I didn't actually want, like, like for example, one of my clients said, you know what, they're an actor and they were like, you know what, every, every actor wants to be series regular. They think it's like hitting the lottery you know financial lottery because it's it's a lot of money and it's consistent work and one of my clients was like you know what i don't think i want to be serious regular at this time in my life like because you usually have to wake up at like four in the morning you know you're there all day it's a very long day you have to wake up she's like i don't know if i really i kind of like waking up at eight o'clock and say you know I, i don't know if that's really what i want in my life right now so she had to you know Get honest about wait a minute what makes me happy what would make me happy now um so i think social media plays a big role in it but but it's really what we decide it means right what we decide it means that this person booked this project or has this opportunity we also don't know the truth about what it means to that person or what they're really feeling on the other side of it you know maybe they're like posting i i had this amazing audition for this for netflix wow i'm so lucky i have such a great life but really they're feeling like maybe it was like a two-line role and it was something that they're not actually excited about but they're trying to tell the world that they had this netflix audition and then people that see it are like oh man they have this great life they're getting these netflix auditions and then we create the story about what we think they're feeling or what you know so I think it comes down to what are the feelings you want to feel when you get the thing you want and stop assuming that every single person who has something feels that exact way because I think we're attaching those feelings to what other people have.
0: How do you help clients who are hyper-focused on other people's achievements?
1: I help them get reacquainted with what their true dream is. I think it's so easy to look at what everybody else is doing and to decide that that's what success means and so that's what I should go after. But we really want to reconnect with what our true dream is. Like what is it that we truly want? Like tune out the noise. Stop looking at what other people are doing. Stop looking at social media, what people are doing on social media, what they're posting, and really reconnect to what is it that you truly want? I have this line in my book that i was actually really proud of i think it's a good line where i said when you are trying to replicate someone else's magic you are taking yourself out of the running for your own and I, i think that's so important i think that as long as you are chasing somebody else's dream or you're trying to you know have or do what other people are having and doing you are cutting yourself off from your own fulfilling really cool journey You know, really amazing, magical experience. You know, it's going to be so much more fulfilling if you reconnect to what it is that you want and go after it in a way that feels good to you as opposed to comparing yourself to everybody else and trying to replicate what other people are doing. I think as long as you are trying to replicate somebody else's path, you're going to get stuck. I I think we all have our own path and we we need to find our own path especially in an industry like Hollywood where there's no one way to do anything you know if you lined up 10 successful people or 100 successful people and asked them how did you break in or how did you get to where you are you're probably going to hear a hundred different stories so it's important that we leave room for us to find our own story and that comes from really letting go and disconnecting from what you see everybody else doing.
0: What's your definition of a high achiever?
1: I That's such a good question um, because I use that term all the time. Um, my definition of a high achiever is somebody who, first of all, has a desire for something beyond like the, the base level. You know, like people say, oh, I wanna be a working actor. And I'm like, really? Like that's such a base level thing i understand you want to pay your bills from acting and sure that would be amazing but like that's one aren't you you're going to want so many more things you know beyond that so i think like number one it's about the desire the desire for something greater than what's comfortable for most people and then i think that you know a lot of my work in terms of helping people become high achievers is about how you think about what you're doing what your belief system is behind what you are doing so that it leads to higher level risks, higher level actions and strategies that then usually lead to higher level opportunities. But so, you know, in my book, I talk about the 10 pillars of the high achiever, and it's, it's really about how you view what is possible and... Um, how you view what you're capable of, you know, what you are able to do. So uh, if you're a high achiever, you view the world in a way that you believe that anything's possible. And you make decisions based on your desires and based on your dreams instead of based on fear. You know, you do things that are not based on those Hollywood rules. You know, you really Go beyond what i call like the most people pool so you're not doing what most people are doing um you're doing what the smaller pool of high achievers are doing which is you know you're really you're really looking at the world in a different way and and your own dreams in a different way like if you have a dream of winning an oscar or being a millionaire you believe that it, not only that it's possible but that it will happen for you and just that belief changes it changes the entire trajectory you know of what what potential you have in front of you
0: so base level let's say filmmaker screenwriter what would that would be they want to work on a few projects not they're looking to no I mean
1: like maybe my working actor example wasn't the greatest because I'm definitely not trying to judge anybody's like level but I, I think that you know like beyond student films beyond unscripted you know if we're talking about Hollywood for for screenwriters or for any other kind of craft you know I think that um beyond what most people strive for you know because I think that striving for like a base level keeps people safe you know I I think that most people that have dreams of succeeding in Hollywood in this industry they have their dreams are beyond student films or their dreams are beyond you know just paying their bills you know I think a lot of people dream of telling really interesting stories you know I think people love storytelling and the art of storytelling you know a lot of the people that I work with they want to make an impact on people's lives they want to make a difference in the world through storytelling you know I think that that goes beyond I just want to be able to pay all my bills from my craft I think everybody wants to be able to pay all their you know bills from their craft but um, I think the high achievers they, they want more they want to they want to go beyond that they don't want to stay safe and comfortable at whatever level is safe and comfortable
0: what are some of the um, achilles heels of a high achiever
1: mm, interesting question um, one of the things that I personally have struggled with and I consider myself a high achiever is all like the fact that I'm kind of always reaching for something, right? And so I think that that might be an Achilles heel of the high achiever where that bar is always moving. And and so that like one thing that I've been working on is being more present, you know, being more present in where I am and trying to enjoy the moment because my eyes are usually always on the next thing you know, I'm always reaching, I'm always on that next thing. I always want to know my next goal. You know, right now I'm in this period where I don't really know for sure what that next goal is for me. And I've never experienced that before. It's very uncomfortable to have to just sit here and be present and wait for it to sort of come or be inspired. Um, And so I think that's probably a high achievers Achilles heels that, you know, they're not really sometimes struggling with being present and, enjoying the journey and enjoying where they are because their eyes are always on the next thing
0: is there no other way around that as a high achiever is that just part of the journey so to speak yeah I mean I don't
1: I don't want to put my own struggles on anybody else and make a blanket statement and say that you know all high achievers will you know struggle with that I think everybody we we all have our own stuff you know Um, so yeah, I, I think you know, everyone's going to have their own struggles, but it's really about how willing are you to do the work to better yourself and to get where you want to go.
0: How do you train someone to believe that their success is inevitable?
1: <laughs> I drill it in them a hundred times until they believe it. I think that whenever you're trying to take on a new belief, sometimes our subconscious mind needs proof. And so I try to tell people what that means in tangible terms, like why is your success inevitable and what will happen if you don't believe your success is inevitable, right? Like if you don't believe your success is inevitable, it is very likely that you have a plan B you know, that you have some sort of backup plan, that you have set up a timeline for yourself where if this doesn't happen in five years, I'm gonna move back home or I'm gonna do something else. Um, Right, you're coming up with like insurance because you don't believe 100%. It's like a prenup for your dream because you don't believe 100% that it's going to work out. And what happens is that when you don't believe your success is inevitable, you don't take the big risks you don't put yourself out there in the same way because you don't believe that it can happen, right? So it really impacts the strategy or the actions that you end up taking. So I try to help people by showing them where, you know, where their current belief of not believing their success is inevitable is leading them and how that's playing out. And I like to inspire people to show them like why I think... Their success is inevitable. And I think that if you can take away the lottery feel of succeeding, right? Because I think that you'll hear often, oh, succeeding in Hollywood, that's like winning the lottery. So for example, one of my clients, I think this is in my book, she said that that was something that she had heard a lot, you know, that good luck trying to make it in Hollywood. That's like winning the lottery. And so I said to her, can you count on your hand? Can you name any people you know who have won the lottery? she was like you know i don't think i know anyone who's won the lottery i said okay now can you count on your hand and name me people who have succeeded in hollywood and she listed like 10 people that she personally knew who were doing well in the industry and so you know because you want to give our subconscious brain the subconscious part of our mind some sort of tangible proof to hold on to and so when we go through that it's like oh okay so it's actually not as hard as winning the lottery it's not that random because i i can name so many more people that have succeeded right so suddenly your subconscious goes oh okay that's different so we start looking for proof of why like why is your success inevitable like why is it inevitable that you will succeed well if you take a look at you know all the people who are successful And who are, you know, if we take a look at their actions or everything that they've done, and if you're doing the same things, it is inevitable that it will lead to success. And that success might look different to every person and however you define success. But, um, you know, I really try to help people retrain their brain to understand that succeeding in Hollywood doesn't have to be this insane, unlikely thing. You know, I think that we kind of come into it with that notion. And so we wanna train our brain to understand that, that that's not actually true.
0: Do you think some people might wanna fail because it, it brings more sympathy, more people like you? If too successful people won't like you?
1: I, that's an interesting question. I've, I've never thought of it that way. I think a lot of people want to fail because if their subconscious mind does not believe that they can succeed if they fail they're proving it right and people like to be right so they like to say see told you I couldn't succeed right and so like I always used to give this example sorry I'm giving so many actor examples I work with a lot of actors but um, you know if you don't believe that you 100 are going to succeed as an actor you might take a day job that is a nine to five And if you have a nine to five day job, you can't really audition. I guess now it's a little different during the pandemic with self-tapes. Everything's self-tapes right now. But, you know, pre-pandemic and hopefully post-pandemic, auditions will be in person again, and they're going to be during the day, during the week, right? And so if you have a nine to five job, you're taking this on because you think you're doing the responsible thing and, We could talk about day jobs is like a whole other conversation where we can have where a lot of people have an idea in their mind that the only way to financially support themselves is through nine to five work. Um, But that's like a self-sabotaging move, right? And so then you're not getting auditions because you can't go on them unless you're calling out for a doctor's appointment every day. And then you end up, you know, a couple of years in and you're not succeeding in Hollywood. And then you can go, see. I was right I'm not succeeding in this town in this industry so I think that um people self-sabotage just to like prove their subconscious mind right um but there's there's so many reasons why people want to fail that some people are afraid of success they're afraid you know kind of what you're talking about are they afraid of like not being liked but also what does that mean in the dynamics of your family you know what will your family think if you succeed what does that look like um you know how will you feel if you're quote-unquote more successful than your parents or you know someone that raised you or something you know people struggle with so many nuanced things about failing and and succeeding so I think there are many reasons but those are a few
0: right or or maybe if um, the the brother or the sister was always the golden child and then the black sheep actually surpasses yes them, that that's a taboo you know it's mm-hmm. not okay okay so. Mm -hmm. yeah there's that's interesting that people will be afraid of success like that Mm because we would think oh no no that will not I'm that wouldn't happen to me no I just you know
1: yeah and some people think that if I do succeed there are other things in life I won't be able to have you know like if I'm successful in Hollywood I won't be able to have um, a happy marriage and raise kids you know people have that fear sometimes of like you know the scheduling with Hollywood that I won't be able to have a family things like that so sometimes people self-sabotage because they're afraid that even if they do succeed, there are other things that they won't be able to have or that it'll you know negatively impact relationships.
0: That's true. Or the nanny will know my kids better than right. me. Yeah, mm-hmm. right,
1: right,
0: What are some examples of star qualities?
1: Star qualities? Mm. I think one of the things that I outline, I have a whole chapter called Star Power, chapter two. One of the examples that I give in the book is when you think about Someone who was a star like Taylor Swift or Steven Spielberg, right? So it's not even necessarily a star as in they're a performer and they're in front of the camera. Someone that's a star in their industry. Who were they before they had any credits? Who was Taylor Swift before anybody knew her name? She was Taylor Swift, right? And so I think it's about how you show up in the beginning And I talk about, you know, like we all have this greatness within us and you don't need a resume or an IMDb credit or any other kind of validation to prove that you can be a star, you know, that you have greatness. I think that we all have greatness already within us. And so, you know, star power is about embracing that, connecting to your own star power that you have before a single person knows your name or before you have anything on your resume, you can still have that star power, but it's about showing up as the star now before waiting for somebody else to validate you and to say that you are a star or to say that you are great. Um, It's about believing that in yourself now before you do anything.
0: Can you give me an example of a star quality that seems that's kind of unknown that would be unlikely that you would never think that, you know? We think of someone with just amazing confidence, owns a room, head turner in so many ways, um, charming.
1: I think that for me, it's it's not even about necessarily those things. It's a well, the confidence piece. It's about the it's about owning your dream, owning what you want. And deciding you are worthy of it because that will translate to risks that you take and actions you take the example I give in my book is about Steven Spielberg and about his story about how he you know basically broke in he was able to get a meeting on the Universal Studios lot with Chuck Silvers who I think was working in in post and he got to connect with him for three days And he was so excited he got to be on the lot. And I think he got to show him like a short film he had made or something like that. And Chuck said, okay, well, the three days are up. You know, I I can't get a pass for you to come back onto the lot. You know, if if you wanna come back, you'll have to kind of find your own way. I can't get you like a permanent pass. So Steven Spielberg was like, all right, I need to get back on this lot. I need to connect with these people. I need to show them my work. I need to get in front of them. So the next day, he shows up in a suit, holding a briefcase, goes up to the gate and just waves to the guy at the gate. And it looks like, you know, he has the appearance of working there and they just let him in. He didn't have to show a badge. That would probably not happen today because you really do need to have a drive on <laughs> today. But what I love so much about that story is that he was taking a risk and being incredibly bold to try to create opportunity for himself. And he didn't wait until he had jaws on his resume to feel confident enough to do that. You know, he didn't wait until he was the Steven Spielberg that we know, because I think it's easy for people to go, oh, well, he's Steven Spielberg, he can do that. But he wasn't that Steven Spielberg that we know when he did that. So for me, it's examples like that. It's like, how do you show up in the beginning? Do you show up and take bold risks? You know, showing up like you are the star now. You don't have to wait until someone else deems you a star, to, to take those kinds of risks and, and take those actions.
0: I like that. So, sorry, again, it's knowing that, sort of like owning your dream and saying that I am worthy of it.
1: Yes, and, and when you feel that way, what risks do you end up taking? Like, you know what I mean? Because I think that a lot of people in Steven Spielberg's position would never do something like that until they are at his now known level of success right? Somebody wouldn't feel comfortable taking that big of a risk unless they already felt validated by Hollywood. You know, like one time, (laughs) nothing ever really came of it, but there was some TV show filming near where I, on location near where I lived. And I saw the prop truck and it was open. And so I brought my business cards to the prop truck and there was no one there. And I just left my business cards on the floor of the prop truck you know so it's like it's like things like that it's like how how do you show up like can you be bold and show up in a way that most people would never do unless they already felt validated by the industry
0: that's a great story yeah I heard about someone else who had a business card and they were mad and they were in real estate and they're just like forget this and they threw them all in a parking lot (laughs) and someone found one and said I have a house to list amazing are, right, right? So, yeah, yeah know. you know like I mean
1: like not every bold risk is going to be received with open arms but if you're not taking those risks you're never going to get the potential opportunities that can come from them
0: right right because you know it, it, this is a town where you know there's all these pretty people and and their accolades and and people are bragging and and they don't want to stay small they want to just kind of like peacock feathers and I think it's easy. To be in a room whatever your thing is and and hear that from the side and you're like I I, what am I doing here you know and then but I I like what you're saying that if you just all you have to do is just say I'm owning this is what I want to do and I'm worthy of it Mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter if this person you know has this beautiful plumage that they're kind of showing the world my thing is also going to matter you have the
1: plumage too it's just not visible yet like I I really believe that we all have that greatness inside of us I think it's internal I think you know the plumage that you're talking about comes from like external you know IMDB credits or you know prestige or celebrity or whatever but to me it's a hundred percent an internal thing it has nothing to do with the external and you can have all those external things and still show up and feel imposter syndrome you know, and, and not feel worthy of being in the room that you're in. And, and that happens, you know, all the time too. Look at, you know, child stars, you know, a lot of times where it doesn't it doesn't pan out as they get older because it's like too much too soon, they weren't ready for it mentally, right? And so maybe they felt like an imposter or whatever. There's a million different reasons why that happens, but it's like, you know, 75% of lottery winners end up getting going broke. And again, it's like this whole idea of like, they weren't internally ready for the thing so to me that plumage that you speak of is really truly internal and not external
0: Erica I have a composite of someone I'd I'd like you to have coach cool so we'll give her the name of crystal and she has wonderful ideas which she puts in notebooks she's written five screenplays but she ultimately feels like an imposter especially since she hasn't been able to get any producers Um, interested in her work and she's had no luck with screenwriting contests. Her goal is to be a Hollywood screenwriter. Crystal has always done incredibly well at everything she's undertaken. She's a perfectionist, somewhat competitive, but her sense of self-worth is wrapped up in always being the best and always winning which she's usually been successful at. She's feeling more and more that maybe her work isn't creative and interesting enough and it's not original possibly. So, she's feeling useless and maybe that she should stop, quote unquote, wasting her time trying to pursue this career, but she doesn't know what else to do. So, how would you begin to work with Crystal?
1: Crystal, (laughs) let's do this. Um, Well, the very first question I would ask her, and I do have a process that I take my clients through that I'll share with you, but the very first question I would ask Crystal is Do you want to quit? Right? She's talking about potentially throwing in the towel. She doesn't think her, her work is getting her where she needs to go or where she wants to go, and so she's considering doing something else. Is that a true desire, or is it I don't feel like I'm good enough, I feel like I failed, therefore I should do something else? You know, I, I think I, I joked with one of my clients because the other day she had a moment of like, oh, I want to quit. You know, I, I think so many of our artists feel that from time to time on their journey. And then um, last week she got a very... Incredible audition opportunity, and she was really excited about it, and she put so much work into it. And my whole comment to her was, "Oh, so you don't want to quit?" <laughs> so I, 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 but so I, I, it's like somewhat of a rhetorical question because I think I know the answer is like, no, I don't want to quit. But I do think it's important for someone to say that out loud, you know, to someone, for someone to really be honest, and come to terms with what you truly desire. I mean, if you truly do desire to quit and try something else, that's okay too, but then we don't need to work together, right? So I think number one is really asking Crystal, is this something that you want to keep doing? Like, do you still have that whisper? Is that dream still calling to you? Is that why you're coming to me probably, you know? So I think that's like important to establish right off the bat. And then before we dive into strategy and what's working and what's not working and what are new strategies you could be doing, I spend the first, usually hour and a half, with my clients on what is their belief system? What are the fears and doubts that are really holding you back? And I actually go through this in my book as well. You know, my book kind of goes through a lot of the things that I do with my clients. So the first thing I will ask Crystal is, what do you want? so you say you want to be a Hollywood screenwriter what does that look like do you want to sell scripts do you want to be a staffed writer on a show do you want to be a show creator um what what does that really look like for you like what is your dream do you want to be winning Emmys you want to be working on features and so I want to hear about it I want to reconnect to her dream I want to hear everything that she wants and I would ask her like write a bulleted list of everything you desire and we're, we're just gonna put out of our heads right now that maybe we don't think it's possible, we have no idea, it's not really happening. Just put all of that out of your head. Right now, I just wanna know, what do you want? If you could have your dream, what is it that you desire? Because once we get really clear on what it is that she wants, that can really help us form a better strategy that's gonna be more tailored to what she actually desires, right? Instead of creating a strategy based off of what other people are doing right? I could easily go, oh, Crystal, you want to be a screenwriter? Here's the screenwriter path. Let's do this. No, I want to know what are her specific dreams. Maybe she even has specific dreams of certain types of stories or certain genres. You know, like I've worked with some screenwriters who are super into the horror genre and that's all they want to do. So I want to hear about it. Um, And so once she writes this list of everything that she desires, then I go, okay, now tell me every doubt and fear you have about that list. And we really need to examine what are the beliefs in your mind right now in relation to this dream that you're trying to make happen. Because that belief system is going to control what you do next or what you've been doing, right? You know, like for example, when you said she hasn't had any luck with producers, my question would be, how many did you ask? If you don't believe your success is inevitable, that list is probably five to 10 people long. My clients are emailing 250 people, right? And so your belief system behind everything is going to control the actions you take and then inevitably the opportunities you get from those actions. You know, like a lot of people, and I've struggled with this myself. um, A lot of us, we stop short because we think it's not working or we feel rejected or we feel discouraged. And so we're not really going the extra mile you know we're not really taking those risks we're not really doing everything we could be doing because we feel deflated and that you know those discouraged beliefs um they will impact the lack of action that's happening so i would take her through uh, that list and i would want to hear what are what's every fear (laughs) say fear and doubt in the same word what is every fear what is every doubt that comes up for you when you look at this list and then we take every fear on that list and we flip it to create an affirmation so that your new belief system becomes the opposite of what you believed so for example if crystal's like well i have a fear that this will never work out for me okay what do you wish you believed well I'm being crystal here. (laughs) Well, I wish that I believed that it would definitely work out, okay? That becomes the new belief. My success is inevitable, right? And so we're flipping the fears. And so then at the end, you have these two lists side by side. You've got all the fears and doubts, and then you've got the opposite, you know, essentially affirmations of the new beliefs. And I always say, when you look at these two lists side by side, if you looked at them as two different people, person A and person B, what kind of career would person A have? With this list of fears and doubts, that's their belief system, what kind of career do you think they're gonna have? And it's usually, well, they probably won't get very far. They're probably gonna struggle. And then what about person B, these affirmations, this new belief system, what kind of career do you think they're gonna have? And you know, it's usually, I, they're gonna kick butt. <laughs> they're gonna do great. <laughs> And and the whole point of this is not to say you can never have these fears again. You know, I think the doubts and the fears, they're always going to be there. They might change over time, but the point is we want the second list to be in the driver's seat. So the fears and doubts, it's okay to have them. They're still gonna hang out in the backseat of the car, but we want the affirmations, the new list, the new beliefs driving the show. And once you build that foundation and you really get clear about the belief system that you currently have and you know, the belief system that you really need to move forward, then we can start to examine the strategy. Then I wanna know, like Crystal, okay, tell me how many producers you've reached out to. Tell me how many agents and managers you've reached out to. Have you tried to get representation? Tell me, you know, tell me about, I wanna hear everything that she's done and we can take a look about, okay, well, here's what I think a better strategy would be for you based on what you told me you desire right and then we can build a new strategy from there but what I find you know especially you said that Crystal is perfectionist and I just got to do a clubhouse the other day with someone who specializes in perfectionism and I really learned a lot um you know perfectionism holds us back it's definitely one of those things that holds us back you know what we fear and she was saying a lot of times it's also tied to self-worth like we we think that we're only worthy if we're perfect if our work is perfect. And if I feel like my work isn't perfect, then I'm not worthy. And if I never put my work out there or take the risks with my work that I really need to be taking, I don't have to confront whether I'm worthy or not, right? So tying your self-worth to perfectionism, we would dive deep you know, into all of those things and um, take a look. And you know, the other thing I would say, I just wanted to add because you mentioned the festivals there is no one way to succeed in Hollywood, right? And so if festivals is one door that you're knocking on, it's okay if it's not leading anywhere. There are still a million other doors that you can knock on. So I don't think that any single door is the be all end all. You know, We don't have to create this story in our mind and that's what we do. When we have a rejection, we create a story in our mind about what it means. So I would wanna know, hey Crystal, you haven't succeeded with festivals. What are you telling yourself that that means? So, you know, really diving deep into how you feel about what's been happening and, and how we can work on changing it, if that makes sense.
0: <laughs> it does. Do you think people that fail are too busy saying no or too busy saying yes? Because you know how Shonda Rhimes talked about she had a year of year saying of yes. yes. yeah. And I think that's great. So, so but, but in some ways you could say yes to things that could give you busy work too. But do you think as a rule, though, most people who fail, they haven't said yes enough?
1: I don't think I don't think I would cat like I usually don't like to make blanket statements over things like that I call it absolutes you know saying always or never because I don't think anything is the same for everybody um so I think some people have trouble saying no and some people have you know trouble saying yes uh and it just you know has to do with your specific situation yeah you know, I had a client who had she was an actress and she already booked a lot of television she had like 50 or so episodes already under her belt Um, at the co-star co-star recurring level maybe one or two guest stars I forget maybe it's just all co-stars and she really wanted to work on her next level and so we worked on she ended up getting new representation but one of the biggest things I worked with her on once she got this higher level uh, representation was saying no to auditions and really getting clear about what her next level looks like and and what she wants to say yes to and what she doesn't want to do anymore you know what was part of her old level so I think I think either way I think people hold themselves back with the yes and the no
0: would you ever tell anyone that they weren't talented enough to do something professionally
1: I would never tell someone that they're not good enough never because I had somebody tell me that in high school and um What I have learned working in Hollywood for now, it's like 13 years. Talent is only one piece of the puzzle. It's one piece. There are so many other qualities that you need to succeed outside of talent. And I think that if you care enough, talent is always something that you can work on you know craft you get better through practice and so you can always be in class you can always be working with a coach like there's so many ways to get better in terms of your talent Um, and from a law of attraction standpoint the law of attraction doesn't care if you're talented or not and I hate to say that because I don't want to discourage people from taking their craft seriously but have you ever watched a tv show and thought "Ooh, that acting wasn't very good or that writing was, ooh, terrible, you know, or listen to a song on the radio and thought, I feel like I could sing better than that person. You know, my point is, is that talent is just one piece. And to me, that is not a deterrent if you're not the most amazing at your craft yet. I think that you can still win. I think you can still succeed. Now, from an integrity standpoint, I think you should be working on your craft, you know, from an integrity standpoint i think you should care about your craft and you should work on it and you should practice you know i think some of the greatest artists in history are people that did it all the time you know they practiced all the time so i think you should absolutely be working on your craft um i just think that there are so many other qualities that you need to have out like i talk about this in my book where i say you know, going back to Crystal even, you know, if you are cold emailing representation and you're trying to get representation, if you email 20 people and they either all say no or just don't even respond, your talent is not going to get you to keep going. It's your perseverance, it's your drive, it's your desire and your ambition, right? There's so many other qualities that you need to keep going In a moment like that so i think that your talent it only gets you so far and if the talent is the only thing you have it will most likely be a hobby and not a career so i I just i just will never tell somebody that you know when when someone told it to me it's happened twice actually to me and it was really soul crushing you know even in design school when i i tell the story it's the first story i tell in the book so sorry to spoil this but um You know, when I first got to art school or the design program at the college I was going to, I did really well on the first project and the second project I almost failed. And the teacher said, oh, I guess you just got lucky on that first one. I will never forget that. I mean, I bawled my eyes out. I ran to the bathroom and cried and, and I just thought, wow, like my mentor, this person who's supposed to teach me how to be good is telling me that anything I've done well so far is chalked up to luck and that was like so soul-crushing for me and then I went on to have a pretty incredible graphic design career in one of the hardest <laughs> industries to work in in Hollywood and I've worked on over 30 television shows so I ended up transferring schools uh, because it just it wasn't that style of teaching wasn't for it didn't feel good for my growth you know I didn't feel like I was learning anything or getting better and I just I, I don't like using fear as a teaching tactic but the point is, is that I was told that I essentially wasn't good. And I still had an incredible dream career after that. You know, I think that I got better. I learned how to get better. And teachers told me how to get better. You know, and they taught me and they mentored me. And, and I got better. And plus, I had all these other qualities that go so much, so far beyond talent.
0: Was they trying to use like a tough love style of like tearing you down then to build you back up sort of mm-hmm. thing? Was it that?
1: no, it was really you know, no, because, like, I don't think there's really anything wrong with tough love. I mean, I guess delivery <laughs> could be debated, but um, tough love is really like telling you things that you' do, you need you know you need to hear that you might not want to hear, but will help for your growth. And so for me, that program was using fear as a teaching tactic. And so, like, And I know that a lot of the other students felt the same way. We were kind of scared to go to class. What is the teacher going to think? What are they going to say? There's so much fear. Um, You know, even with that assignment, um, I didn't get any notes as to, like, what could have been better. And so I didn't. So I'm like, oh, I'm almost failing this project, but I don't actually know how to make it better. I just feel bad about myself. And I'm scared because it's like this teacher's, um, you know, Like instilling fear in me essentially in the way that she taught and she did that throughout the whole semester so i just i didn't even like at the end of the day i feel like i was learning i was like i want to be a good graphic designer but i don't know if i'm learning that here um and it was interesting because almost every student felt the same way but i was the only one that left so again a very teachable moment for myself you know but yeah i don't i don't love some people like that teaching tactic To use fear as a teaching tactic I I don't for me it's not productive I I feel like I can learn how to do better and be better without being afraid Um, I feel like it doesn't create like or foster a safe environment to take risks and fail so that was my personal experience
0: but then how can we deliver a message to someone without being um, without protecting them too much where they're almost blinded because we're not giving them the real I don't know. I mean, there, there's like yes people, yeah. and a lot of times I'm sure when people reach a certain level, they're surrounded mm-hmm. by yes people, and I don't know if that's good or bad. probably some enable them. Yeah, I don't think, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't think yes, so surrounding yeah. yourself
1: with yes men, I don't think is ever mm-hmm. good, at least for growth.
0: Yeah, sure.
1: I, I think that. I mean, feedback. It's totally okay to give feedback. You know, um, that teacher was more like you bad. You know, it, it wasn't like constructive feedback that I felt I could learn from. So, um, you know, the art school that I transferred to was very tough, very tough, Um, but I never felt bad about myself. I don't know, it was just constructive feedback. It was like, well, this isn't working so well here, but if you do X, Y, and Z, I think it would work better and here's why. And then I would go, oh, that would make this better. Let me do that. You know, then I'm excited about making changes because I'm learning why it would make it better which I think is really important and you know as artists (coughs) it's important to not attach your self-worth to your work um you know your work can be a separate thing um yeah
0: what did going to that second art school that you said was very competitive teach you
1: um
0: in terms of competition I should clarify well I
1: I wouldn't say it was necessarily competitive although there was well there was a little bit of a sense of competition they they ranked the top five portfolios when we graduated so you know there was something about like oh are you top five and 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 I wasn't in the top five but I had a professor tell my mom oh she would have been in the top seven if we did seven she was in our top seven and and it's like like but what what does that actually mean like I've lived such a different career you know I went off to design graphics for television other people are doing other things So I I think that, I think what it taught me is that it's good to strive to be your best, but you don't necessarily have to strive to be the best, because I think the best is going to be subjective no matter, you know, where you are, what pool you're in. So, you know, it's, it's good to just strive to be your best, you know, do better than you did last time, you know, see your own growth and then let that lead to your own path you know even looking sometimes i would compare myself to um where my other um peers are now you know with their careers or you know we had a couple students from our school um one that is she graduated the year before me i believe year or two before me and she became a pretty famous graphic designer she's very well known She's a very big following and the teachers love that and would always point out, you know, talk about her and use her as an example, of course. And then it's like, oh, and I'm always trying to, like, we would joke about her name in class, my peers and I, because it was like, oh, we're never going to live up to that person to our, in our teacher's eyes. And so I, I guess I learned in that sense about, you know, like, like, stop I I want to tell myself that even now because even now with my book I'm like still trying to impress my professors and I graduated like 13 years ago and I'm still like do they think I'm successful do they like what I'm doing um and yeah but I, I think that lesson I learned there was really like let yourself be on your own path and you know just compare yourself to where you were before and stop trying to be or do what these other people have
0: Is competition good in that it prepares you for the real world? Because in the real world, there's no, oh, you did great. And oh, you get a gold star. It's usually much more brutal than that. And it can be very cold, unfortunately. Yeah, definitely.
1: um, I just have a slightly different belief about competition. I believe there's room for everybody. And that might mean something different. It doesn't necessarily mean there's room for everybody in the same exact seat right? But I do believe that we all deserve to live our dreams in our own way. So um, it can be competitive in the real world or even in school, but that doesn't mean that you can't live out your dreams. You know, someone beating you out for a job or an opportunity or something doesn't mean that you can't still live a fulfilling life or achieve your dreams. I mean, there were jobs that I did not get. You know, I interviewed... I've only interviewed like four times maybe for a tv show most of the jobs i got came from connections that i built over time the only times that i've interviewed i've never gotten the job never and that didn't mean that i couldn't still have a really great career i mean someone else got that job over me right so in that sense in the competition i failed there or whatever someone beat me out but there was another show for me there were more opportunities for me you know So I really believe, and Chelsea Handler talks about this too. You know, she says like, there's room for everyone.
0: Can you talk about the other time that someone said you wouldn't be able to do something or succeed?
1: Yeah, technically they didn't say the words, but it was implied. And it was something that I'll never forget. In high school, I was very involved in drama and chorus. So I was secretary of the drama club. I was president of the chorus. That was my life. I loved singing, I loved acting. Not the best at dancing, but I would I would do what was required, but that was my life. You know, I lived theater. And I did pretty well. You know, I was up for the lead several times. I understudied the lead my sophomore year. I was actually up for a lead. It was between me and one other girl my freshman year which You know, it was a big deal in the politics of high school that being a freshman up for a lead. And um, I, you know, I I did well enough to be decent. You know, I wasn't the star of our high school or anything like that. I wasn't in that like top elite group that was like really phenomenal, but I was pretty good. I was good enough to, you know, get a leading role in a musical once and, and some other big parts and other opportunities. And I loved theater. I I really loved acting. I was more enamored with Hollywood than Broadway, but I really loved it. And like I said, I did a summer program at UCLA and there was a summer theater intensive. So I actually went to UCLA for acting um, when I was still in high school. And when we started applying for colleges, I didn't apply to any acting programs. And a lot of my friends did. Um, And I I started discovering my love for graphic design during that time. And so I was feeling pulled toward graphic design. And so that was really what I was working towards getting into for college. But I was still in the midst, you know, I, I was still in the midst of theater. And I sat down with my, the theater teacher one day, and it was just the two of us in a classroom And I looked at her and I said, you know, the reason why I'm not pursuing acting in college is because I know I'm not good enough. And there was like that little girl inside of me that so badly wanted her to say, you can do it, you're good enough, like give it a try. If that's really what you wanna do, go for it. And she didn't. And she just sat silent and didn't say anything. And to me, that was confirmation, you know, of her saying, yeah, well, you're you're not the star of our program and it's only the stars that really go on. And, you know, that was so many years ago. And I, I remember that moment so clearly still all these years later, I, it really had an impact on me. And it was one of the reasons, you know, why I didn't pursue acting and now, you know, I actually believe that everything worked out how it was supposed to. You know, I don't still want to be an actor. Even when I work with my actor clients, I have no desire. I'm not longingly looking at their careers. I was supposed to be a graphic designer. That's That became my true love. Um, but the lesson that I learned there that I, I wanted to, I feel like was one of the reasons I wanted to become a coach is because I think there are so many artists that have those moments where they're maybe told they're not good enough or they think it themselves and I said in the book that I wish the teacher saw in me. Although I really need to take full responsibility and say I wish I saw it in myself. But I, I, I think I wish the teacher saw in me that I had all these other qualities that could potentially lead to success in a career like Hollywood, right? I, I was already showing leadership skills, right? I was secretary of the drama club. I was, I was president of a 250-person chorus. I have you know worked my way up there, and so I. I already had so, I, I was like a self-starter, you know? Like I had a positive outlook. I was determined and ambitious. Like I had so many qualities that could help me succeed even if I wasn't the absolute star, you know? And even if I didn't maybe get into one of the top desired theater programs. Like there's theater programs in countries, all, you know, or in schools all around the country. Um, I don't know. I, I just think that, you know, I, I, t- I own that for myself now that I wish I saw it in myself, but I don't think at that moment I understood that so much more than talent was required to succeed. And now looking at like the people who did, you know, pursue theater in college from that program in high school, only one or two of them is actually doing it. So, um, and I was still able to create, you know, a pretty great career for myself in Hollywood and break in when I didn't know anybody. and I and I didn't do that because I was this phenomenal designer I did it because I had all these other qualities that helped me break in
0: And we don't know someone's motives behind why they say something too or don't say something
1: yeah totally I mean you know and again it could have been her own it doesn't really matter I, I think but you know it was just it was just a moment for me that I, I just want to help people not feel that way because I feel like if there's a dream in your heart, you can pursue it. You know, Jack Canfield has this quote that I always say, where he says, you wouldn't be given a dream unless you had the capacity to fulfill it. And I really believe that. I really believe that you wouldn't be given a dream unless you had the capacity to fill it. Doesn't mean right in this moment when you're 17 years old that you have all the tools and are able to fulfill it now, right, but, but it, it creates potential. Like it says that the potential is 100% there
0: is it better to try to avoid making money as an artist like should someone not set out to do their art and also try to make money at it right away
1: I believe that both can happen and so I go into it believing this dream will provide for me because I have this desire of course it's going to financially support me as well you know it might take time to get to where you want to be but I have this whole chapter I know I keep dropping my book and like name dropping my book but I do have this whole chapter about you know this idea of being a starving artist because I think that those two words you rarely hear them without each other and I believe that you don't have to be a starving artist and I also believe that there's nothing wrong with desiring financial success or with you know with wanting to make money from your art so to me it's about I believe that I can create art that is going to financially support me and really having that belief from the beginning.
0: Most artists don't make money, especially right up front. Wouldn't it be easier to accept that?
1: Most artists. Accepting that belief equals determining your fate, right? So your fate is 100% dependent upon your belief. So if you believe that most artists don't make money in the beginning, that 100% will be your fate. And what you do when you accept that belief, when you take that belief on, you are now putting yourself into the most people pool. Sure, most people don't make a ton of money in the beginning. Do you have to be most people, right? And so can you find an example, like I always love to talk about the example of Gilmore Girls, it's one of my favorite shows, but Alexis Bladell had no acting credits on her resume before booking that title lead role. So, you know, I mean, she was modeling before. She had a modeling career there, but but you know, breaking into Hollywood as an actress. And then, you know, I, I don't know what the going rates were back then, but series regulars now start at like 25 dollars 30000 an episode, depending on the network, right? And so you so she technically went from zero to so you know, several thousand dollars per week per episode. And back then they were doing 22 24 episode seasons. So there's always gonna be an exception to the rule. And I think it's better to focus on the exception than to focus on the rule. I think it's better to go into it with, well, I could be that exception because when you, when you accept the rule and you say, oh, I'm gonna be like most people, then that's exactly what your experience will be.
0: Is there a danger in not thinking that you're part of that pool? Is, Are you
1: saying like is there a danger to think of yourself in this smaller high achievers pool yeah no i mean i mean what danger i i I think it's like i guess the danger could be like oh but then you're like putting yourself in this pool where people make it and what if you don't i think that um there's no danger in believing that your dreams are possible in a and this is like the high achiever, right? Like in a in a really big way, in a in a more committed way than most people. I, I don't think there's any danger in that. And I think that like the well, what if it doesn't happen? I again believe my success is inevitable. So to me, there's no specific time frame that it has to happen, and I just know it's going to happen. I don't know when, I don't know how. I don't know where, but it's going to happen. And I have that belief throughout so there's no well if it doesn't happen by x that means you're you're in the most people pool you know I I just don't think that way
0: do you think other people paying you to do your art inherently makes it worse because you don't have the same level of freedom to create the art that's in your heart
1: what if I believed that the work is in my that the work that is in my heart is what people will ask for Right, so I think it's it, it's changing the belief, right? It's changing the belief about it. Like, oh, well, I'm gonna have to do something that's not really in my heart that I don't really wanna do because the client's ask me or whatever, right? Sure, that happens and that has happened on my path. You know, I, like I had day job, graphic design day jobs that I did not enjoy, but, I, but they financially supported me so I could stay in LA and keep doing this. So, you know, I've had that experience, but I think in the bigger picture, um, if I'm doing work that doesn't feel good, I stopped doing it or I don't like like there there was you know I'll be honest I didn't love working on cop shows because from a graphic standpoint it's really boring you know it's it's like you're designing signs for hospitals and prisons (laughs) like like that's like basically the only graphics I do and they're rectangles with text and that's it you know it's not a very creative um you know genre in terms of graphics and so I did a cop show I did not enjoy it and then I was like okay I'm not going to do this again and then I would turn down cop shows in the future right so so for me it's more about like what if I just believe that the work I want to do is what will be asked of me.
0: Can you give us an example of that happening? Was there an example where you saw a show that you wanted to do and you said that's the kind of art I want to do though that's the color scheme I like that how do I make that my reality?
1: Yeah I mean it wasn't that specific in terms of like color schemes or certain art it was more just like I would love to do something that's more creative where maybe every week the graphics are different you know where I get to explore more with like different signage or different props or, you know, things that are integral to the story that are just inherently more interesting. And, um, you know, shortly after that, I did book a TV show called Chasing Life, which was the ABC family show that I said I loved, which was a great experience. And I got to do really cool, fun, different graphics. You know, um, I feel like my portfolio really expanded from that show because we got to do um you know so many different things like we did a a marathon once and I got to do these like marathon banner graphics but then also you know the runners tags that they had to wear and and then I got to do wardrobe you know like there was a camp and I got to design the sweatshirts that the counselors wore. like there was really just variety um and that was fun for me more so than you know the the cop graphics kind of stuff where you're just designing rectangles with text so um, yeah and then that that became really fun and I said okay so this is going to be my new standard I want to work on a show that feels fun and creative um, and and you know those are the only things I would say yes to now
0: unless it was Blade Runner then that would be cool
1: no like, <laughs> I, I turned down Sons of Anarchy oh you did yeah. Oh wow, wow. no no I I don't care how big the show is if it's something I know that I don't think I will enjoy um, I, I won't do it my happiness is is now more important so
0: so the so the le the colored leathers on the back of the motorcycle jackets that just didn't interest. yeah like okay
1: that like that'd be cool but my point was that like there you know right it wasn't even even if it's something even, that even, if, it's something, even yeah. if a project okay. is like big and well known if okay. if I don't think that I will enjoy doing it then I will still turn it down
0: sure sure that makes sense.
1: And I just want to add something there because some people might be going, oh, well, you have the luxury of turning it down because you're at a certain point in your career now where you can say no and you know things are going to come in. But I just want to add on to that is that when I turn down something that doesn't feel like a good fit for me, I am making room for something better to come in, right? So as long as you say yes to things you don't want to do, you now don't even have room for something new to come in. So, you know, it's not even necessarily about I'm at a certain place in my career where now I can say no to things. To me, it's really about what do I want to make room for in my life? Even if, you know, the great example is I talk about all all the time, people that stay non-union, you know, especially actors, you know, when they're afraid to join SAG, because once they join SAG, they can no longer do non-union work. And that is scary to them because they only know non-union work and they feel that non-union is easier to book than SAG work, right? And so they like to stay non-union and I say, when you are staying non-union as long as you can, you are staying where you are as long as you can. Even though it might take a little longer for the SAG stuff to start flowing in and it might be a little scarier, that doesn't mean that it won't flow in. And as long as you're choosing the other thing, it'll never flow in, right? So it doesn't really matter how far you are in your career To be able to turn things down or to you know to be able to start making room for what it is you truly desire it might take some time to bring it in but you want to at least open yourself up and make room for the things that you really want
0: that's a good example right there yeah I know a lot of people they pay off they don't want to pay the dues and they keep the eligibility status but then they just keep keep working yeah good example what do you teach your clients about money
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh man what don't I teach them no uh, money is such an important topic I think on and really anyone's journey but not even specific to Hollywood I am still in my own learning journey uh, you know of um, wealth consciousness and working on my money mindset but what I like to teach them is really focus on what is possible and what sounds exciting instead of focusing on what doesn't feel good so for example this this uh example comes up a lot because my i remember my clients telling me about this other teacher teaching about this when you are focusing on if you're a writer director actor and you're focusing on This is how much of my paycheck goes to taxes. And this is how much of my paycheck goes to my agent or manager. And I am left with so little. When you are focusing on, I am left with so little, you are going to create more of that in your life, in your career, right? Whatever we focus on expands. So instead of going, oh my gosh, if I book a co-star and I only make $800 for the day and then I guess I start with the thousands it's easier math to do in my head I know I only make a thousand dollars for the day and you know uh 30% of that is going to taxes 20% is going to my agent and manager and I'm only going home with like 500 bucks that really sucks to me that is the most people thinking right so in terms of money instead of focusing on how much it sucks when you're left with little money at the end of the day instead what if you focused on what if i booked a recurring role for twenty thousand dollars and then even though some of it's going to taxes and my agent and manager i'm still left with a pretty nice chunk of change right so instead of focusing on limitations and what you know feels like your fate is going to be and really focus on um, you know the the downside of all of that focus on what's possible focus on being the one that gets 10 million dollar paychecks from a movie you know again it's like the most people pool and the high achiever pool that high achiever pool people who are making 10 million dollars a movie might be smaller than most people in the industry but let's focus on that because that's how you get there you know so it's so important to really think from an abundant mindset about what is possible
0: how do you teach people to stretch that I guess it's a muscle
1: Again, get kind of like what I was telling you with, you know, my success is inevitable. In addition to suggesting lots of books and resources that I love that I think are really helpful um, because I think that it's money mindset is, is a, a deep conversation that needs to happen over time. We need to unlearn a lot of things and relearn new things and take a look at our own um, money patterns. But just like with my success is inevitable, it's like, let's start looking for proof. Okay, I had a client that booked a $17,000 job right so there's proof that somebody I worked with you know in the recent you know past or whatever um booked a bigger paycheck was able to receive a bigger paycheck so now your subconscious goes oh so it's possible oh so it's possible for me to get that right so again it's like feeding your subconscious mind proof of what's possible because proof exists we just choose not to focus on it we choose to focus on the people that are coming home with five hundred dollars and feeling broke but instead all this other evidence also exists we're just saying that it's so rare and that that's not possible for us or it's like winning the lottery right and so it's really about looking for that proof and going okay that is what i want to focus on and that is what i'm working towards
0: the gilmore girls example that you gave again she had been modeling but she'd never had a speaking role no wow and how long was I mean the show is doesn't it Didn't like do seven a second? seasons okay. and then
1: they recently did the you know Netflix special that was four episodes long mm-hmm. yeah but there's great like you know I, I love the show so I've watched interviews and things like that behind the scenes and I read Lauren Graham's one of her books and Lauren Graham talks about how she played uh Alexis Bledel's mother as the two of them for people that don't know Gilmore Girls Lauren Graham talks about she's like if you ever see a scene where I'm like grabbing Alexis's arm and pulling her close to me she's like I was pulling her on her mark (laughs) because she was so new that she you know she didn't in the beginning you know she didn't necessarily know all those things like oh you need to stand on your mark and you know things that a seasoned actor would know and so even without all that—that's how new she was. Even with all all that knowledge and all that experience, she still booked the title, one of the t- title roles, series regular, like seven seasons. Wow. See, and that's possible. When we focus on that instead of you know, the actor who books one co-star a year and really struggles, right? It's like both evidence exist. Which one do we want to focus on?
0: How does money change an artist?
1: I don't think money changes anybody. I think again it's it's all internal so whatever it looks like money changed was already there inside right so sometimes they say you know fame is like holding up a magnifying glass to what's already there you know like for example I worked on a show I won't mention names but I worked on a show where, where one of the lead actresses was not a very nice person and I found out that people who knew her before she was famous said that she was like that then. (laughs) You know, she wasn't a nice person then. It's like like holding up a magnifying glass. So I don't think that money, I don't think any external thing changes us. You know, I think that only, you know, I mean, events and things like that, I guess, can shift our perception or, or our feelings or our beliefs, but I don't think like a tangible thing like money, which is just like a value exchange, I don't think that necessarily changes people. I think, again, it's like a magnifying glass to what's already there. So a lot of times people will feel when I have X amount of money, all my money problems will go away. But having more money doesn't change your spending habits. It doesn't change your saving habits or what you do with your money, how you treat your money. You are the person that does that. It might inspire you to change your habits. You know, It might inspire you to do things differently, but I don't think money actually changes people.
0: The people you've worked with, how does their outward success change the people around them?
1: Oh, good question. I, cause I love that. Like to me, that it it makes me so happy to help. I say spread the light. Like I want to spread the light in Hollywood. You know, the people that I work with, helping them feel good and feel inspired again will then help people around them feel inspired. So, I, again. I think it's more about the internal changes than the external things that they book, the projects that they book. Um, I think that, you know, like um, one of my clients was saying that her mom said, oh, you know, you're, you're so upbeat recently, you know, you're, you're so positive and happy. And she was like, yes, <laughs> you know, I'm a month working with Erica. Um, so I, I think that it's more the internal shift that impacts people around them in a positive way but you know I guess the things that they the projects that they might book or the external things um, can kind of I guess with the internal shifts also help impact people but you know what I'm seeing and what I and what I really hope is that it impacts people for the better where it inspires other people to go after their dreams and it shows other people what's possible you know when I first started out 13 almost 13 years ago I read Jack Canfield's Success Principles. It was my very first self-help book I ever read. And I was like, this is the greatest thing ever. (laughs) I I loved it so much. And I I think it really helped me break in to Hollywood so quickly. And one of the tactics that he talked about was writing your goals on an index card. And so I would do that for every goal for years. I I don't do it anymore um, because my, my belief around that has shifted a little bit. But like my dad, started writing his goals down on index cards. I was like, that is so cool. You know, I think, you know, there's something so incredible about inspiring others to go after their dreams or to believe in more, you know, believe in more possibility for themselves by seeing people they know or love do it.
0: But what if that doesn't happen?
1: What if it doesn't inspire others?
0: What if it takes another turn? What do you mean? What if somehow um, they can't handle that? Have you seen that in…
1: Like the person who's, su- who's succeeding or the person that's watching them?
0: The person that's succeeding, what if some of the individuals around them, that threatens them? Have you worked with your clients on that and and how do they internalize that?
1: So they're feeling threatened by their success?
0: Or the dynamics changed, power structures changed. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, it upsets the apple cart
1: yeah I mean that absolutely does happen and I've coached many clients through that I think especially with friends um and I think that you know you can't control somebody else's journey right so so like my client can't control their friend getting on board and being excited and being inspired or feeling threatened or or feeling you know not good about it or whatever right we can't control somebody else's journey they're on their own path and so it's not up to us how they feel and and one of the things that I work with my clients a lot is because a lot of times when we're doing the mindset it's really the internal shifts that that impact their relationships the most and and a lot of times I say that when you start changing and growing what you used to tolerate becomes less tolerable so the people that maybe aren't getting on board maybe were never meant to get on board with them right and maybe it was something they were tolerating before but it's like they can't even tolerate anymore they don't even want to be around them right so i think that you know it's important that we surround ourselves with people who support us and who want us to win and are you know and excited for us and if people are feeling you know negative Nancy's, they're feeling down um That's okay, you know, they're on their own path, but the more we surround ourselves with people like that, the more time we spend with them, the more it can start to drag us down if we're not incredibly strong about our own energy and thought process. So I I never think it's about like, oh, you need to break up with this friend. You know, I I don't think it's necessarily about cutting people out of your life, but just being more um, present and, and aware Of the kinds of conversations you have with them and and the things that they say and then how it impacts how you feel
0: when you've had a client reach tremendous success what were some of the surprises that they weren't ready to handle
1: well i work with i've worked with a lot of new people so uh, tremendous success i i don't know if you know that's that's all relative and I, i don't know if i've like i don't know if i've ever coached somebody that that achieved something so incredible that they weren't ready for, because I think that the work that we do gets them ready for it. Um, and that's always what it's about. Like it's all, again, it's always the internal thing, you know, how, how do you feel about what is happening? And do you have support around you? You know, that's like why some of my clients end up staying into, like, I have a membership where it's just a couple coaching calls a month in a group setting so that they can keep up with the, You know the work to keep up with that belief system keep up with that mindset work so that as they do achieve things they have the support system to to help them you know handle anything
0: that comes their way so so some of this has never come as a surprise to them it's they've taken these steps and they were ready emotionally
1: yeah nothing's ever a surprise I mean like because I train them to expect success and I don't even, I shouldn't even say I train them. I, I don't want to take responsibility. They they shift their belief system to believe that their success is coming. So nothing, it's never a surprise. It's exciting and, and they're really happy about it. And, you know, it's funny, like even small things, one of my clients um, texted me the other day in, our, in her session, she she moved home during the pandemic and is going to move back to LA soon. And she was like, you know, when do I move? Like, I'm looking at places. I don't know when the timing is right. And I said, well, when do you find a place that you love that feels really good? And I was like, watch, I bet this week you'll find a place now that we had this conversation. And she texted me the next day and was like, you won't believe one of those apartments just became available that I was interested in. So there's never, it's never a surprise. It's expected. I mean, it's, it's surprised in the way of like, wow, this really did, come true this really did happen and and there's excitement around that but never a
0: surprise so expect success okay Mm -hmm. I like that and do you think with the every people pool it's not expected correct I'm hoping yeah correct fingers crossed okay ask
1: anyone ask ask most people you know ask them what they believe about about their success and or about the next booking or the next job or whatever and yeah, most people do not expect it. They expect failure, or they expect it to take a long time, or they expect struggle.
0: Erica, would you mind reading a page or two from your book? Oh, I just so happen to have it on my lap, <laughs>
1: right? Here. Okay, oh
0: beautiful.
1: <laughs> I would be happy to. I'm like I'm like a teacher. This is chapter 16. It's called Own Your Power. Your dream comes from the most powerful place, you. It's born from divine inspiration, one of the most powerful forces in the universe. This calling becomes a burning desire, one that gives you ambition, perseverance, drive, and even compassion in a way you've never felt before. It helps form the most powerful version of you there ever was. And yet, the moment it becomes an impossible feat you have to achieve, the power is immediately stripped away. It's your superpower and kryptonite all in one. But the stripping of your power is really an illusion. It's a choice to give it away and a choice you don't have to make. Instead of feeling at the mercy of others to make your dream come true, you can take your power back by realizing As Abraham Hicks says, they are all just pawns in the law of attraction game. You get to control so much more than you think. You get to control your energy, your vibration, your beliefs, your strategy, your actions, your risks and asks, and the most important of them all, you get to create your reality. All of those things combined with the belief in abundance and limitless opportunities leads to a world where it doesn't matter if someone says yes or no to you. The dream is happening no matter what. I think one of my superpowers is reminding people how powerful they really are. That shift in energy can be all it takes to manifest exciting new opportunities. Because how you show up to the world is how the world will show up for you. Whatever you believe will be reflected back to you. If you feel powerless in your dream pursuit, you will have experiences that confirm those feelings and vice versa. P.S. Owning your power is so much more fun. So let's choose that, shall we? Let me help you by busting the power myths that your subconscious is fighting for. Here is one of the power myths. Gatekeepers. Gatekeepers are like the bouncers of the club deciding who gets in. It feels like they have all the power and artists are at the mercy of their decision. Actors are at the mercy of casting directors. Authors are at the mercy of publishers. Startups are at the mercy of investors. It feels like these gatekeepers are in charge of our fate and we have no control over what they say. Access to our dreams is in their hands. So how are we supposed to feel powerful in those moments? We hold none of the power in those decisions. Clap! (laughs) That's me waking you up from the hypnotic spell you're under. Time for the powerful truth. Powerful truth. These gatekeepers do not determine your fate. Only you can do that. Pillar number seven says that your success is inevitable, which means your fate has already been decided. Any single gatekeeper or any single opportunity will not break your chances of succeeding. It's already been decided. Your success is a done deal. Who cares what the gatekeeper says? Your person is coming. Your opportunity is coming because it's inevitable. And if that's the case, what if these gatekeepers were in fact allies? What if they were friends? What if they were your support system, your cheer squad? What if the universe always placed people on your path to help you? And what if that help didn't always come in the pretty package you want? A no could be just as much a gift as a yes. When Jack Canfield's book was turned down 144 times by publishers, what if that was all a gift because the publisher he was meant to work with happened to be the 145th? What if it's all working out perfectly? We tend to put gatekeepers on pedestals because we think they hold the power but you hold the power. Take them down from that pedestal. They are just people. They are pawns in your game. And this game is in the highest good of everyone. You know the value you bring. You know you were meant to do this, so it can't not work out. If this gatekeeper doesn't let you in, it says nothing about your potential. It says nothing about your future or your ability to succeed. It just wasn't a match. But I promise you, your people are out there. Keep going because they're looking for you too. Excellent. (laughs) That's just two pages. Why did you choose that passage? Well, one, because I think that it's something a lot of people struggle with. I think that so many filmmakers feel powerless in this industry and they are constantly searching for ways to feel powerful. That's why a lot of people do their own work, you know, film their own projects because they want to feel in control and they feel like everything's out of control. So I wanted to read that to address that, you know, exact thing. I think that there's so many ways that we can feel You know be in our own power without it even having to be something as literal as filming your own content um and also because so many people have read the beginning of the book the first chapter and I think a lot of what we talked about today was stories from the first couple chapters and so I wanted to share something from the back of the book the the third section um that to me feels like this is how a high achiever thinks you know a high achiever doesn't feel at the mercy of gatekeepers they feel that they have the power to create whatever they want and if something doesn't work out or doesn't happen the way they wanted it to that's okay it doesn't mean that it it's not still going to happen
0: how did you feel writing that chapter did it did were you sort of empowered I mean as you're writing it were you almost transformed into another world yeah I
1: mean everything I wrote I need to Here over and over again you know I read my own book a lot (laughs) and I'm not trying to say that in like a super arrogant way but in a way of like I needed to hear this again today you know um yeah I really feel like I I mean so much of the book came from working with my clients and the work that we've done over several years now um but I do feel like I sort of I don't want to say channeled you know but I I just feel like it it came from a place like I I felt like this was this idea to write this book was divinely sent to me like I just I just got the idea it wasn't something I strategize I didn't strategize and say oh I should write a book I was like I just felt this feeling of like you have like you have to get this message out to help people you know and then when COVID hit not to be super morbid I was like I have to get this message out before I die what if I get COVID and die like I was really feeling like I need to finish this book I told my mom where like my book files were on my computer I I was just a little fearful during you know like during this pandemic Um, but yeah I just I don't know I just I really want more people to to hear this message and hopefully it will help transform you know their careers
0: when you tell your clients this message are they resistant at first
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yes and no, and, and myself as well. You know, I, I share this story with my clients a lot when I was first starting out, you know, really embracing some of this for myself. I was working with a life coach and we were talking about money, abundance in, in terms of money. And I was really struggling financially that month. And I said, I'm so broke. I'm so broke. I really need a haircut, I can't afford a haircut, I can't afford anything. And she said, Erica, you are an abundant person. You are so abundant. You have access to money all around you. And I said, do you want to look at my bank account? I have hardly any money in it. And I went back and forth with her arguing about how broke I was. No, you don't understand. You need to hear me. I am broke, I am struggling. I need to be heard. And my poor coach, she she was so patient and kind with me, you know, because I had so much resistance. And now of course, looking back, I I share that story because when I look back now, I can see like, I was really fighting for my limitations. I was fighting to stay where I was. I, I wasn't listening to her when she was, you know, like, it's like, if I listened to her like I, there, I could have been open to solutions with the, like with the FedEx logo, right? I, there could have been solutions in front of me that I didn't see because I didn't want to see them. I wanted to instead prove how broke I was. So I myself have been resistant and um, I've definitely had clients be resistant, especially in terms of not, not really necessarily the belief, but the action that it should then lead to. So for example, like one time I worked with a client who I was like, you need to change your day job because her day job had her traveling a lot and she would travel for like at least one week every month. So she was out of town a lot. And I was like, you want to audition? And this was pre-pandemic, you know, nothing was self-tape. You want to audition and, and, you know, get representation and audition and, and books work. You're not even here to do it this day job I understand that it's supporting you but you need a different day job that's going to support what you're actually trying to do because right now it's blocking you and it took her I think like six weeks I mean it took her weeks you know because that's a scary thing you know that's definitely a risk but you know working through the mindset of it of like believing that your success is inevitable if you take this risk A, you you start to believe, of course there's another day job out there for me. Of course I can believe that that's possible, that I can be financially supported in a day job that also gives me time to audition, you know, and stay in LA at least, and not be traveling, right? It's like you have to start to believe that things can work out for you, even with these little things of, I have to believe not only that my success is inevitable, but that I can find a different day job. I have to believe that I can be financially supported you know so we worked through you know shifting her beliefs and eventually she came around changed her day job got an agent right away booked her first co-star booked a lead in a tv movie you know so so things really shifted for her but you know it's okay to have resist it's okay that it takes time I think as long as you're open to doing the work it doesn't have to happen overnight but if you're if you're open to doing that work I think then that's that's where the benefit will be
0: when you had the, the down period after you had moved out here, got this great job, and then the recession hit, or it was already in, in mm-hmm. motion, and I believe then the show was canceled, mm-hmm. I guess. Were you fighting for your limitations during oh, that time? Oh,
1: yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, yes, I really was. And again, it goes back to, you know, I had those like blinders on of only seeing the problem and not allowing myself to open up to solutions I didn't do nothing like I I, you know I'm an ambitious person and I I tried you know I I put myself out there I think I cold emailed a bunch of people I, I I tried to get another job so it's not like I didn't do anything but I had those blinders on and I was definitely like you know it's like If my mom suggested like, oh, you should, you could go for a drive or go down to the ocean. No, mom, I can't do that. That means I have to put gas in the car and I can't afford gas. You know, so it was like I was constantly focused on the problem um, and fighting to stay there essentially. You know, my mom was like trying to tell me all these things that could potentially help me and it took me a long time to get to a place where I stopped fighting for my limitations and I finally opened myself up to help
0: at what point in your career did you go without work for was it a year okay what happened
1: yeah that was in 2009 and that contact that one connection that I had made helped me get that first show Um, but I didn't have like a huge rolodex of people that I knew in the industry so it was really challenging to book another job because you know as from a graphic designer standpoint you really need to know people you know one once you get into the union there is an availability list that you can put yourself on and you can get some jobs from your name being on the availability list but people are only going to that list until they've you know they've gone through they've exhausted their list of people they know so it's so much about who you know and i just didn't know enough people yet you know my pool was so small so um i I had you know it was like the worst year of my life because it was also the recession and so I couldn't even get a waitressing job like I remember this one day where I saw craigslist posting for a waitress interview a server interview and I got in my car right away and drove right over and there were already like 10 people in line and they were only taking one person so it, it that was really challenging too and like I really you know even now I, I try to get better but i tend to tie myself worth to how much money i have and so when i like couldn't even make a living as, as like getting a server job or something like that or any kind of side job um it and and this was also before uber and lyft existed you know i couldn't drive for instacart i couldn't i couldn't do those things i couldn't be a postmates person um and so that was really hard for me too so not only like struggling to find the work but then tie my worth To that and and feeling so unworthy of success or anything that I wanted that was really hard
0: how well do you remember the depression that you faced oh gosh
1: I'm very well because I still experience it all the time like I'm I think I'm prone to depression I call it situational depression because it usually comes from a situation so something happens um, to cause me to be depressed I don't normally feel it just to feel it with no trigger Um, so I recall it very well because I felt it again, many times since then. Um, but it was just a really pivotal time in my life. Like I, I remember it so well, so well, I can really connect, you know, to those feelings and, you know, what I tried to do, you know, just all of the things that I did. And even though it was almost 13 years ago at this point, 12 years ago, I, I still remember it very clearly.
0: It yeah, was a really rough time for a lot of people.
1: Yes, and it was. And I mean, thank God I didn't have kids or didn't have a home. You know, so many people lost their homes and, you know, much worse than, you know, fortunately I was able to stay afloat. And, I, you know, I had two roommates at the time. And so I was able to still stay in LA, which is amazing. It could have been much worse, but yeah, it was a tough time.
0: How were you able to book a job at the end of all that?
1: I asked for help. It was so hard. I my cousin told me a story um it's a short story I can tell it quickly and people probably heard it before I forget all the details but essentially there was a man in his house and it started raining and as the rain came down it didn't stop and it started to flood and he was like oh my gosh how am I going to be okay and he just kept praying to God God save me I will be okay please help me God And the flood kept growing and the rain was getting worse. And so he goes to the upstairs in his house so he can get to the next level because it's starting to come into his house. And he sees um, someone in their truck drives by. And they're like, hey man, we can help you. Come jump in the truck. And he was like, no, God will save me. I'm gonna go upstairs to this upper level. I will be fine. And then the rain keeps coming and the flood is rising. And someone in a boat passes by. And they're like, hey, jump in the boat. We'll help you. We'll save you. They see him in this window, you know, jump out of your window. And he's like, no, I'll be okay. I'm praying God will save me. And then finally, it becomes like unbearable. And he has to literally climb to the roof of his house. And a helicopter comes and flies over and drops a ladder and says, you know, we grab the ladder. We can save you. I said, no, God will save me. I I prayed and I know God will save me. And the water rose so much that he couldn't go anywhere and he ended up drowning and died. And he goes to heaven and he's like, God, what the heck? I prayed for you to save me. Why didn't you save me? And God said, I sent you a truck. I sent you a boat. I sent you a helicopter and when my cousin told me that story it really helped me see that like if you're drowning it's okay to ask for help you know I felt very ashamed of where I was you know in my life and how much I was struggling because again I really tied it to my self-worth and I just thought you know I'm not a, a good enough human being I don't deserve this and so I don't even deserve somebody's help you know and I would ghost people's texts. You know, I just wouldn't even respond to friends' texts or calls because I was so ashamed. I was so embarrassed. You know, if they say, "How are you? What's going on?" and I would say, "Nothing." 9 months later and still nothing is going on. You know, I was so ashamed. So, after my cousin told me that story, I was like, "Okay." And so I reached out to one of the girls that I had become friendly with from the first show. And I told her, "Look, I really need a job. If you know of anyone looking, because she was the same age as me, but she had already been in the industry longer and she knew a lot of people. And so she had found other work. I said, I really need a job. If you hear of anything, could you let me know? And she heard of something and she recommended me and it was Glee. And they called me and they called me a week after I finally got a waitressing job. A week after. And I was like, you have no idea how much I want to come work for you. But it was to fill in for somebody for just a couple days. And I was like, you have no idea how badly I want to say yes to you. But I just spent like eight or nine months with no job. And I just got this waitressing job a week ago. I don't think I can quit this for just a couple days work, even though I really want to. And so I said, like, if something else comes up longer term, please, please call me. And a month later they did and they called me and they said now we need someone to fill in for the rest of the season and I gave my notice after a month of waitressing and I went and worked on glee
0: wow because that goes back to that energy shift and so here you had something you finally got a waitressing job after mm-hmm. you know racing down to an open call for one and then, then this other one opened up. So that goes back to what you are talking about earlier.
1: Definitely. I mean, even just getting the waitressing job, it, it filled me up so much, you know, and not even just self-worth and feeling like, wow, okay, I finally have some money coming in, I can survive and, and I have a job, but also being around other people, you know, because I was so afraid to spend money that I wouldn't leave my room. I would stay in my room, in my apartment, like all day, every day, I was afraid to leave. Because it would cost me money to leave, and I just I wasn't around people, and so that I think also helped to be around people. And you know, waitressing, you're you're hustling and walking fast and stuff. So it was getting exercise again and moving my body. You know, all of these things that were beneficial. That I think really shifted my energy then to be open for a TV show.
0: Very interesting. Wow, what a story. So, so, when you got the waitressing job, how did that feel? Because I realized that wasn't your ultimate destination. No, it
1: wasn't, but I was elated. You know, mm-hmm. I just needed something I hadn't had any work in so long. I, I was so, so happy and so grateful to get that waitressing job.
0: Yes. <laughs> oh. Do you ever go back to that restaurant? Well, then, no, now, you probably can't because it's just take out if it's still around
1: right well so that so it's funny because so it's, it's on the block near where I live so I could walk there and I felt so guilty about like leaving after just a month and I, I could tell the manager was not happy with me that on glee I was an assistant and I was in charge of getting lunch every day So I would always say, hey, we should go to this restaurant. And so I gave them business and we would order from the whole office and order lunch there. And I would go there and pick it up because I wanted to still give them business, you know, because I felt so bad about leaving. Um, And so and I and that restaurant was amazing food. So good. But it doesn't exist anymore. And another restaurant is in its place now. That's also a very good restaurant. And I go there when it's open.
0: Yes. That's a great story.
1: And, and, and even the staff, like the people in the kitchen and the other servers, like some of them I still talk to to this day. Some of them went to the restaurant next door, and I always say hi. I get so excited to see them, and it's nice.
0: Do you believe in visualization? Yes. How does it work?
1: Well, it works however you want it to work. But I think that – so I'm really fascinated by the science behind it. I just think it's so fascinating. And so, Dr. Joe Dispenza teaches a lot of the science behind it. I'm so fascinated. So, he talks about, he gave this really good example of a, an experiment that they did. I don't know if he conducted or someone else did it a long time ago, where they monitored the brain of somebody rehearsing, practicing the piano. And it was for a certain amount of hours, a couple of days a week or something. And they literally would get brain scans or you know i don't know the scientific term but they they studied their brain um to see what happens like what part of the brain lights up you know what happens in your brain when you're rehearsing playing the piano and then they did the same thing but asked him to just rehearse it in his mind just visualize yourself rehearsing for the same amount of time so if it was three hours spend three hours rehearsing playing the piano not actually touching a piano And what they found was the exact same part of the brain lit up. And what this was really showing them is that your brain doesn't really know the difference between something imagined or visualized and something real that's right in front of you. And they talk about when you visualize what you want happening and you you close your eyes and you really see it in detail and you play it out like a movie in your mind, you're actually impacting the quantum field. I mean, this is like quantum physics and it's getting a little science but you're actually like impacting the quantum field around you and it creates possibility. Like it creates, like now, now that you envision it, it exists in real life somewhere. And he talks about, he does a much better job explaining because I'm an art brain, not a science brain. And so I kind of summarized the science that he shared, but the way that I remember it, but he said that, you know, for example, in the morning when you wake up, If you have a thought i have to go to the bathroom right when you wake up and then your body goes to the bathroom so your body physically follows the thought so when you visualize you know play out this movie in your mind of you booking a project or you know getting anything that you want your body then will follow the thought and it will lead you to actions and things to do and you know connections people to talk to whatever um to to follow that thought because your brain thinks it's real doesn't know the difference and and joe talks about dr joe talks about um and i don't really do this enough i'm a very visual person so it's super easy for me to visualize and i i can kind of do it without even having to go into a deep meditation like i can just i can connect to it so easily because i'm such a visual person but dr joe talks about like for this to work really well It's best if you can do this in a meditative state. So if you can just close your eyes and visualize whatever it is that you want to visualize, let's say like I do this great meditation visualization with my clients where like I might walk them through a day of them going to set, you know, booking, you know, on a project that they love. You know, I, they get up and they get in their car and we play out the whole day. You drive to Paramount Studios, you get to your trailer, you sit in the hair and makeup, you know, literally all the details of it and like what's around you. And um, Dr. Joe talks about like incorporating your five senses, you know, you know, sense of like, how does it smell? You know, what, what are you touching? What do you, so to really, um, you know, make it come to life in your mind. And so he says that if you can get to a place in your meditative state, And every time I talk about this, I'm like, Erica, you need to do this more because this is so great. (laughs) If you can get to a place in your meditative state where you're visualizing and you forget about, you're no longer connected to time, your body, or your environment. Meaning you're just so into this visualization that you have no idea if five minutes passed or 30 minutes passed, right? So you're not like super aware of time. You are not fidgeting, you know, or touching your body. So like you're just so into it that you're not even aware of your body or itchy or, you know, whatever we do when we're wiggling in a, in a meditation. And then your environment, like you're not thinking about the room that you're sitting in. When you can get to a place where you're no, no longer aware of those three things, that's like the magic space where the visualization comes to life and really kind of creates in this quantum field. So I think visualization is just such an amazing tool for us to use like one it just gets you excited you know I think it's just good to help get you in the energy which I can even do just talking about the specifics of my dream I get excited you know if anyone asks me about like the house I want to buy I will go on forever and I get so excited and I can tell you all the details that's like brings me that energy of the visualization um But so I think it's good for that sense and like it gets you excited and it gets you connected to the possibility, which then will lead to ideas or actions or bigger risks, you know, any of the thing that good energy will lead to. Um, And then also you're, from a scientific perspective, you know, you're essentially creating this possibility in the quantum field, and now you're expecting it to happen. And so you're doing all the things you would do if you knew it was coming.
0: Do you have any examples of how this creative visualization has helped some of your clients?
1: So one of the things that I have my clients do in addition to visualizing is to write it out. And so I have what they do, we call it a clear intentions list. And so they write like a list of what their intentions are, what they want to create. And so, I mean, this happens all the time. They get the agent or manager that matches everything on their list. You know, they, They create things all the time. And one of my clients actually the other day had posted in the Facebook group that she recently got a new agent that feels really great. It's a great relationship. They're bringing her high quality auditions. They they understand each other. It seems like they really support her dream, you know, like all these dreamy things that people want from a rep that they often don't get. And she said I, 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 cause I told her, I'm like, man, I wish we could go back to your two year ago self and tell that version of you, like that you got this great rep and you're having this wonderful experience. And she's like, I know she said, like, I remember one of your other clients having it happen to her a year ago and feeling like so excited for her and seeing that it was possible and really wanting that for myself. And, and then it happened for her. So, um, so not so it's not necessarily that they're going through the whole like meditation and visualization, although I think a lot of my clients are doing that naturally, um, but really visualizing in any kind of sense, even outside of meditation, what it is they want and then having it happen.
0: Do you ever see people who are unable to make positive changes in their life?
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I do. I think. You know, no judgment. Again, I think everyone's on their own path, and actually, this is something that I had to work on as a coach to not take that on for myself and beat myself up about it. Like I didn't do a good enough job. I didn't. I, I you know, I couldn't. I, I couldn't change them. I, you know, my work couldn't um, help them change. You know, I've struggled with that in the past, um, and really had to learn like. I give them the tools but it's up to them what they do with it you know I I can't make anybody do anything so um, I've definitely seen that happen but I do think that everyone's on their own path and I think that people come around when they when they come around and when they when they need to when it's right for them Um, you know Tony Robbins talks about how everyone moves towards pain or pleasure so A lot of times he says, you know, people don't change until the pain becomes too great. And that's been my experience 100% (laughs) as well. You know, it's like, like I remember when I was working on a show full time and starting my coaching business, and I really got to the point where I needed to leave the show in order for my business to take off if that's what I wanted. Like there was only so much I could do with my business working on a TV show full time, especially TV hours, you know, working eight, 10 hour day or 10, 12 hour days, Um, I knew I had to leave the job, but it took me a while to make that, you know, to actually make that leap, you know, as, as ambitious and driven as I am, I have my own moments of resistance and I, it, it took me time and it wasn't until the pain became too great where I said, what am I doing? I can't stay here. Like I have to get out, you know, something happened at work. It wasn't even a big thing, but it was just something that gave me reason to leave. And, it wasn't until the pain became too great that I actually made the change um and so yeah so Tony says that we're moving towards pain or towards pleasure we're like there's something you want and so you make a decision based on that because you really want it so I think that um when people you know aren't aren't making positive changes in their life maybe the pain just hasn't become too great yet you know and maybe that moment will happen for them in the future
0: what goes through your mind when someone tells you you can't do something
1: (laughs) I will say that there's like there's still a little teeny part of me that like the answers first in my mind and says oh yeah they're right like even with all the work I do there's still like this teeny tiny part but I I quiet it very quickly and um, I, I just don't accept that for myself I, and because, because there's always going to be proof that that's not true for everybody or everything, you know, that's why I say to look for absolutes when they're saying words like always or never, that'll never work, or you can't do that, you know, but there's always going to be an exception to that. Right. So, so I can't, I can't take that on as my own. And even if it, even if no proof existed and it was something new that I was trying to do, I still have to believe that it's possible. I still have to get behind that. Um, regardless so usually if somebody tells me that they're either someone that I'm not going to work with moving forward or um, you know I might try to educate them on my philosophy you know how I view things but you know in the in the industry I I still do hear it
0: a lot yeah can you talk about limiting beliefs and how we live someone else's reality
1: this is where I want to talk about realistic I think that um, what somebody else deems as realistic is based upon their belief system and they might be limited in that scope you know they might have a limiting belief about what is realistic and the way that our subconscious mind works is that if we believe them that means we're deciding that what they're saying is true, then it gets stored in our subconscious. But if we don't believe them, then it doesn't get stored in our subconscious. And so we have to get more aware and and vigilant about what we allow into our subconscious because if we don't, we will end up living somebody else's version of what they think is realistic, you know, based on their limiting beliefs. So for example... You know, as an entrepreneur myself, starting a business and wanting to own a home, and you know, in the hills or by the ocean, that's going to be a multi-million dollar home. So, if I want to, you know, buy a multi-million dollar home, I have to believe that it's realistic for that to happen. I have to believe that it's realistic for me to buy a multi-million dollar home. And the way that I do that is by looking for proof and for ways of how to make that tangibly happen like if I can learn more about what it takes to own a multi-million dollar home what does my income need to be you know I spoke to realtors I spoke to lenders I you know I learned about the process of you know how much would I put down you know people that are buying at that level are they paying in cash you know I, I really had to learn all of these things and the more I learned it the more it becomes more realistic because I understand what it takes right So as I have grown as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, I started to know people. You know, I started to expand my friend base of other entrepreneurs who are further along than me financially, right? So for example, one of my friends last year just hit her first million dollar a year. So a million dollars in a year, that's like $83,000 a month, right? Now, most people would say, $83,000 $83,000 a month? That's not realistic. Right? Some people aren't even making that per year. And so we decide that that isn't realistic. But to my friend who has done it, it's totally realistic to her. She did it. So her reality is not the same as somebody else's reality because she believe, you know, she believes in a different definition of what is realistic. And if we look at it, It's totally realistic for her to make $83,000 a month. It's also totally realistic for her to incrementally grow every year and make more than that. You know, it is not that far off for her to make $100,000 a month. One of her mentors has made up to $400,000 a month. Again, it sounds like something that's not realistic, right? And you could say, oh, well, she got lucky or she won the lottery. No, they're just entrepreneurs that learned how to build a business. And and actually, Jack Canfield says in that book, The Success Principles, that a millionaire is made every four minutes, I believe, in the United States. So it's much more common than we realize, but our mind tells us it's not realistic. So if I want to be a millionaire or if I want to own a multimillion dollar home, and that means that I need to have an income, you know, past a million, I can't take on somebody else's belief that says I can't do that. I can't listen to someone that says, Erica, that's not really realistic, right? I I can't take that on because if I do, it'll never happen. I'll never get that house. So instead, I have to surround myself with people like my friend who's already now hitting a million dollars a year and seeing how she's doing it and learning from her and going, oh, okay, totally realistic. So I'm deciding that what I want, even though it might sound crazy to other people, is actually really realistic to me. You know, and so I, I have to decide that for myself and I, I, do, I can't base my belief on what someone else's belief is.
0: Wow. Uh, oh, that sounds like a nice... <laughs> <laughs> that sounds really nice. How can an artist ruin their own career because they're living someone else's fear-based reality? Well,
1: I mean, with my example of the house if I take on someone else's limiting belief that this is impossible I I ruin the dream by not even if I I don't even believe it could happen I'm not gonna learn how to grow my income I'm not gonna speak to a lender and learn what a lender is going to need from me as an entrepreneur who doesn't bring home w-2s every day every week you know like all of that research that I've done I wouldn't do that research if I take on their beliefs so you know I don't know if ruin is the word that I would use, that they're ruining their career, but I think that they're. you're always going to get what you believe. So if you take on somebody else's belief that this can't happen or you can't have that, that's exactly what you will get. So um, it'll, I guess, ruin you know any chances of having the thing that you desire if you're not believing that you can have it. How do we get in
0: tune with our own reality?
1: In tune with your own reality, meaning... In tune with the reality you want to create like whatever you want to be realistic for
0: yourself that's true because I guess we could get in tune with our own reality that's negative like basically you never
1: want to get in tune with your reality like your reality is not having what you want right like like right now in my reality I don't have the house so I don't want to get in tune with that reality I want to get in tune with the reality in which I have the house So, I mean, Abraham Hicks talks about this a lot, but it's really about like, stop focusing on what you don't have. You know, Abraham says that every subject is really two subjects, the having it and the not having it. So if you wanna book a show, you're either focused on the fact that you haven't booked it yet and don't have it, or you're focused on the fact that you're going to have it, right? And so one of those is the dominant thought there. And so, You don't want to focus on the reality that you don't have it. You want to focus on the reality you're creating in the future, in the near future. So you really want to get in tune with the reality that you want to create. You know, from a law of attraction standpoint, you know, in terms of like manifesting, whatever is in your life right now, you have created, you have manifested. So everything you have now is based on things you've done in the past. And so the same for the future things that you want is going to be based on what you're doing right now. So what you're doing right now, oh, it's talking about getting in alignment with the thing that you want. What do we do now to manifest that thing in the future? We get aligned with it, meaning we believe that we're going to have it. You know, We stop focusing on lack, stop focusing on what we don't have. And we just get excited about it. We visualize, we focus on how it's going to feel. It's really about the feeling. So when, when I have this job, I'm going to feel really excited and really confident and really proud okay well can i experience those emotions right now totally you don't need to book a job to feel excited you can get excited right you can create that emotion for yourself so it's about like how can i just focus on feeling excited and confident and proud right and that is going to call this in as opposed to if i got in tune with my current reality where i don't have the job I might feel sad i might feel frustrated i might feel not worthy right and all of those things And, and when we focus on those feelings and by the way this is not to say that it's bad to feel those feelings like i always tell my clients it's healthy and okay to feel whatever comes up for you it's just about can we shorten the time in which we don't feel good and shift into feeling better so um it's getting aligned with those feelings and belief in what's coming and expecting it.
0: How does someone take action toward their goals when they can barely get out of bed in the morning?
1: They don't. I think the action that they work on is getting out of bed in the morning. You know, we can sometimes feel overwhelmed with all of the things we need to do or want to do. But if you're feeling that way, if you're feeling like I can't get out of bed in the morning, you really just want to focus on task at hand which is like you know abraham talks about um you don't have to jump the emotional scale so if you're feeling really low you don't have to try to jump to feeling amazing and going for your dreams and doing all your goals you know doing all the actions for your goals it's about incremental increases like could i just feel a little bit better can i somehow focus on getting myself better so i feel good enough to get out of bed can i then maybe take a shower or could i Maybe do some exercise to get my heart rate going and build those endorphins and just take care of myself. You know, can I, can I climb that ladder so that from here, then you can feel a little better in here and then here, right? And you, you're incrementally climbing so that when you get to a place, then when you can finally start to feel good, then you can focus on going for your goals. But I think that, uh, you know, our mental health is so much more important than any goal. And so it's so important. I always tell my clients too, like your alignment, your energy should be your priority above all. You know, so if you are feeling really rejected one day and you're feeling really down, don't go email 10 more agents because you don't feel good. You know, wait until you feel better. Work on, make your energy the priority. Work on what can I do to make myself feel better, to shift my energy, that has to be my priority. Then I'll go take those actions. Because you really want to take the action from a place where you feel good so that you get that reflected back to you. Plus, when you're feeling good, you'll be led to better ideas. You know, when you are when you can't even get out of bed, you're not going to have that amazing idea, you know, to take some new risk.
0: And going back to your job scenario, which is a great example, you finally got this one job which was more of a survival job mm-hmm. and it really helped you yes. just get out of your own mindset, yes. all this stuff. And then that's when the re the job that you really wanted came calling
1: totally totally and again that's why I say like I'm so grateful for that waitressing job you know it really helped shift my energy and get me out of feeling depressed and yeah that did really good things for me
0: <laughs> yeah what do you consider the impossible dream
1: well the title of my book has that word in quotes in the subtitle because I don't think that anything's impossible I really don't and I, I know that sounds cheesy oh nothing's impossible but you can't think that anything you want is impossible or else you'll never go for it in the manner that it's going to require. So I don't think anything's impossible. I think other people might tell you that they think it's impossible. You know, There might be data or evidence that suggests it might be challenging, but any obstacle or any challenge, to me, that's not enough information to say, oh, that's too impossible, I shouldn't do it. I shouldn't even try. So yeah, I don't, I don't believe that anything is impossible.
0: How would you handle if one of your clients was giving up on their quote unquote Hollywood dream and you feel like maybe that's the right decision for them?
1: I've never felt that way ever. I would never feel that way. I, to, again, though, it's not, a, it's not my decision, it's not up to me. I, you know, I would never decide if someone should go for it or not or if someone should quit or not. That has to come from them alone. And so I would just encourage them to get in touch with their true desires and their true feelings to help them figure out what's the right move for them. You know, I don't think there's anything wrong with someone saying, I want to do something else now instead. Like that's okay too. I mean, look at me, I worked in television for all these years and then I was like, I want to coach, I want to help other people. So, you know, our dreams change sometimes, but I would never be the one to tell someone that they should quit or they shouldn't do this.
0: Have you ever seen it where someone comes to you and they say, you know, I'm not getting to X, Y, and D in my career and then you realize, well, this was just the total wrong path for them? No. You've never seen that? No. No. (laughs) Again, like
1: like I know I romanticize it a little bit but I also think that that is a superpower. Like I think it's okay that I romanticize it because that has led to my success but I truly believe if they have this dream then they can make it happen. And so it's really, it really just comes down to them having the desire. If you have a desire for a dream, I will help you. I believe that you can make it happen. It's as simple as that for me.
0: When did you first hear of Abraham Hicks? Oh gosh, years
1: ago. I don't remember. Five years ago maybe? I I went to one of their live events a couple years ago. Yeah. Yeah, maybe five or six years ago
0: and it's all about um manifestation
1: it's it's law of attraction attraction. you know esther Mm -hmm. hicks channels um an entity called abraham i know that's very weird if you're new it might be too woo for you but um but it's just information about law of attraction where people just ask them questions and they answer and it's no matter what they ask it's very applicable to anyone's what they're going through anyone's life so um yeah so i've been listening for years because it helps me and i like it
0: (laughs) yeah What are the big problems that are arising for artists during COVID and how are you helping them through it?
1: I love this question because I have been humbled with the answer to this question. I have really learned a lot. I have seen proof during COVID that absolutely anything is possible. And to me, that is incredible for, I always give these examples, Sarah Cooper. I don't know if you know Sarah Cooper. She's a comedian, a writer. She posted on social media these funny videos or on TikTok, I think. And she blew up and she was already like, I think she was already doing some work, but she just blew up during the pandemic while Hollywood is shut down. Like things aren't even filming at all. And she ends up getting a Netflix special. And she also was invited to do the, I think the opening night monologue on one of the late night TV shows. And she did a phenomenal job. I watched it. I was so impressed. It's a great example of like, even when the industry is shut down, opportunities still exist. And to me, that has been so humbling because, you know, I can fall into the victim mode of like, oh my gosh, this is so hard. I mean, look, you know, my business, I lost 60% of my business during the pandemic, but I did pivot and I was like, well, how else can I serve people right now? How else can I help people right now instead of just throwing in the towel, right? So I think, you know, the way that I'm supporting my clients during the pandemic is a little different now because things have started up and things are filming. I mean, not as much as before, but things are filming, but I'm really, you know, empowering them to believe that their dreams are still possible during this time. I mean, there are other artists that have, you know, really blown up and gotten a lot of attention and opportunity during this time. Caitlin Riley is another example. Her Instagram account blew up. She does this like hilarious 60 second videos that people really related to and really loved and her account blew up. I see she getting like sponsored deals now, you know, so it's been humbling it's like Erica come on you teach this that anything is possible and and so um that's been exciting for me to learn you know like really anything is possible at any time there's no wrong time to pursue your dream even this pandemic I don't think it's the wrong time
0: and you started your book in February 2020
1: yeah I started writing it in February yes wow yeah right so I wrote a book during the pandemic you know yeah
0: and now you're doing the audio book? Yes. Wow. Yes. So you're basically saying, okay, one one part, you know, you said you're pivoting. So at what point did you say, okay, I'm showing up at the computer today to write this first page of this book?
1: I, I don't mean to sound annoying, but like I never struggled with that. Oh, okay. I just no, didn't. Great. I, because like when I got the, so the idea for the book wasn't, a strategic pivoting move from the pandemic. It was just happened to be like in December of the previous year of 2019, December, October, November, December is when I started to get the nudge to write the book. Um, and so I was already planning to do it before the pandemic happened. Um, and I just, I, I talk about this in the book, but it, it just felt like I was divinely guided to write this book and I had to get this message out. And so it it was a challenging uh, Path in terms of like, I rewrote the first chapter a hundred times, you know. That it was it was challenging and finding my voice and how I, you know, do I want this book to just be for Hollywood or do I want it to be for everyone? And that was an interesting learning experience, figuring that, you know, solving that problem and figuring out, do I want this message to be applicable applicable to everyone? And if I do, how much Hollywood do I include? How much do I exclude? So there was, you know, challenges in in that aspect, but I never really struggled with like, oh my gosh, I have to sit down at the computer today and write this.
0: Right, going back, you said you're a self starter.
1: Yes, I, I just felt very inspired to do it. But like, look, the audiobook is taking me forever because because <laughs> it's so much work, and, I, and I'm not really. I've only recorded like a chapter and a half, so, uh, yeah.